Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And all of the front pages of the papers are covering the sad, the shocking, the tragic story. A parent's nightmare, a baby killed by a dog. A tot has died after a dog attack yesterday morning left her with horrific injuries. Three and a half month old Mia O'Connell was asleep in a bedroom with her mum in Clashmore County, Waterford, when she was attacked. A post-mortem is due to take place at Cork University Hospital today. Pet dog kills baby girl, says the star. Three-month-old was attacked as she slept at home. A community reeling last night after a three-month-old baby girl died after being savaged by a pet dog. Baby dies after an attack by family dog, says the uh, male front page. Infant was sleeping in bedroom when she was set upon. And it covers, uh, sadly, uh, all of the front pages of the uh, morning papers. The buzz is back in Cork, says uh, the Echo. Restaurants and pubs reopen outdoors. A great buzz and atmosphere returned to Cork City yesterday as many pubs and restaurants opened their doors for outdoor dining. The streets of Cork were bustling yesterday following the reopening of hospitality for outdoor dining under the latest easing of restrictions announced by the government. Stories and pictures uh, in today's Echo. And uh, some nice reporting inside as well. Nice picture of Margaret O'Reardon, all masked up, getting ready at Clancy's Bar and Restaurant. And, uh, uh, of course, all the ancillary businesses are doing well as well. Operations Manager of Oak Fire Pizza, Sarah Luan, said that the results of 12 months of hard work amongst all businesses on Princess Street and preparing for outdoor dining were seen on Monday. And of course, the cinemas reopened as well after five months. The Echo reporting that excitement was at peak levels among moviegoers in Cork yesterday with the reopening of cinemas. Monday saw a further easing of the country's COVID-19 restrictions with the latest in the government's reopening plan for summer activity going ahead. And cinemas, of course, were included too. The buzz is fantastic, says the examiner, as gyms reopen. Podrick Hoare reporting that the repeated clinking of metal, grunts of determination as treadmills whirred and the sound of water splashing interspersed with glorious squeals of delighted children, it could mean only one thing. Uh, around Cork, the reopening of gyms and leisure centres felt like a bank holiday gift from the heavens. There, for members of the establishments like District Health and Leisure in Silver Springs, the agonising five-month wait was finally over. Check that out in the examiner. Some of the bar staff are saying, I didn't sleep with the nerves. A whopping 25,000 get back to work and the gyms are fighting fit on their return uh, all reported in the star to quote the song Summer in Dublin by Bagatelle and the young people walking down Grafton Street and everyone looking so well it was a memorable day in the capital as pubs and restaurants reopened yesterday and a memorable, uh, memorable day in Cork as well Varadkar pushing for early return to offices in August you'll have heard it in our news bulletin the Tornish details an effort it would make more sense. Leo Varadkar is urging a return to the office in August, a month earlier than currently planned. The Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment wants to see people returning to their desks within weeks, even if remote and blended working are to become a much bigger feature of life after COVID. That's going to be the new thing now. Blended. Won't be remote anymore. It'll be a blend of remote and attending. And the Irish Independent says it can reveal he is now asking Neffet to consider a phased return to offices in August rather than September. COVID-19 is more severe for Irish men than women. Uh, COVID-19 affects Irish men more severely than women through a significantly higher risk of death. And new research indicates once a person is tested positive for the virus, they are at least 25% more likely to die if they are male, according to the analysis by the Society of Actuaries 
in Ireland. Uh, that's shocking reading, and that is in the Irish Times. Irish cancer survivors get their own county, and um, this is uh, and a lovely picture. Welcome to County Cork, uh, twinned with Ireland's 200,000 cancer survivors. This is a novel idea. Breakthrough Cancer Research has marked National Cancer Survivors Day by creating a symbolic 33rd county in Ireland called County Shelfada, the county of survivors. The county representative of the people who've survived and lived longer because of scientific innovation and cancer research has a population as big as Cork City. And Breakthrough has also appointed a temporary mayor of County Shelfada, uh, former Lord Mayor uh, of Cork and cancer survivor John Buttermer. Mr. Buttermer said cancer can strike at any time, and for me it was during my year as Lord Mayor. I think the idea of a county of cancer survivors with its own council is a wonderful idea because there are 200,000 of us now. The Examiner is also sadly reporting of the lack of mental health beds for teens. Child law expert Carol Coulter has said Tusla is in a bind when it comes to securing mental health supports for children and can end up desperately begging for help from the HSE and Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services, which may never arrive. Read that in the Examiner today. The right staff, Irish employers are struggling to fill new roles. Uh, They are really struggling. Irish employers facing a dire talent shortage as 78% of businesses struggle to fill new roles, uh, a new survey has found. A jobs boom is also expected in the construction and pharmaceutical sectors. The new employment outlook survey by Manpower Group indicates companies are looking to hire staff between July and September, but over three quarters of businesses are finding it difficult to track down the right candidates for the jobs. Uh, the Alzheimer's drug offers a first new hope in 20 years. The first new drug for Alzheimer's in nearly 20 years has won approval in the US, raising hopes that it could be used here. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a strange word. Aducanumab ta- targets the cause of the, the disease rather than its symptoms, and charities have welcomed the news describing the approval as a major milestone for the millions living with dementia. But scientists are divided because of the uncertainty over trial results. Check it out in today's Daily Mail. The uh, mirror has early birds much, uh, much chirpier than night owls. Early birds are less likely than night owls to suffer from depression. Uh, research suggests. So get up early in the morning, get things done, have a good run of the day, is the kind of findings here. Academics found robust evidence having a sleep pattern out of sync with our body clocks can harm our mental health. And one more, and it would be remiss of me not to uh, draw attention to page 20 and 21 in the Echo today, where a wonderful report by Trevor Laffin recalls the dramatic events of 25 years ago when a giant old oil tanker ran aground off Wales and a Cork tugboat crew were called in to help the rescue operation. Uh, so it's a Cork tugboat. There was about 14 or 15 other ones. There's pictures there. It's a great story. My dad was the captain of the tug, and that's why I want to mention it. And uh, at 4.30 a.m., and I've always heard this story at home, uh, being the only tug left out there uh, everywhere for two miles, having been evacuated, the crew of the uh, tanker being evacuated as well. Uh, and one tug left out there, Paddy, At 4.30am, my dad Tony heard the most astonishing statement in his career. This vessel, we believe, is about to blow up. Uh, You can check that out, page 20 and 21 uh, of today's Evening Echo. A lovely report, and well done to Trevor Laffin on that. It's now 14 minutes, coming up on a quarter past nine. The Neil Prenderville Show. And this is Mick Mulcahy on The Neil Prenderville Show. Neil uh, returning next Monday, of course. Olivia Kelleher joins us from the Irish Times. Good morning, Olivia. Good morning. What a sad start to the week. A three-month-old baby girl died after being attacked by a dog in West Waterford. Gardaí have confirmed. 
It's an unspeakable tragedy, really, Mick. Um, little baby Mia was born in late February. Her parents had gotten engaged on New Year's Eve. Um, she was in bed in the little terraced house in Clashmore. It's a tiny village in Marshford at around 2 a.m. yesterday morning when the dog, for whatever reason, uh, went and attacked her. Um, emergency services treated um, little Mia at the scene before uh, she was taken by ambulance to COH where she was pronounced dead shortly after. Um, a post-mortem, post-mortem will take place today, Nick. And that seems to have been an unprovoked attack. She was sleeping. She wasn't goading the absolutely, dog or anything. Um, no reason. She'd be too young to anyway. Yeah. yeah, absolutely no reason. Um, I believe the, I went to the village yesterday and there was a kind of palpable sense of shock. And one mother I went up to just shook her head. She said, you know what you say, it's, it's every kind of parent's worst nightmare. Um, little Mia had been seen in her pram in recent days by locals. Her grandmother had brought her out for a walk. And, you know, naturally with any small child, people, that admired her and um, she was, you know, clearly doted on and, and much loved. Um, so just a kind of an unspeakable sense, a sense of shock there, you know, uh, the file will be sent to the coroner's court and uh, an inquest will be held in, in due course. But a kind of tragic time for, for the locals down there. Mm-hmm. It's a wonderful part of the country. It's, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, Olivia. There's, there's a, sort of a triangle of undiscovered beauty. Uh, people in Cork tend to go to West Cork. People in Waterford tend to go maybe east to Wexford or whatever. And there's this lovely little spot in the middle of West Waterford, Clashmore, Villiers Town, Capaquin, uh, that people should visit more. So it's a really lovely part it's of the country. It's absolutely beautiful and um, really, really tiny. When I arrived there yesterday, you have the tiny strip of the main street and the family lived in a, in a tourist house just off the strip. You know, I mean, it was, it, it's an absolutely beautiful spot. There's a kind of a lovely walkway and playground there and very quiet. One, um, I was chatting to a local man and he said, you know, nothing that had happened there in, in years. The, the last thing he could recall was a, a murder 20 years ago. I mean, nothing bad has happened there in a, a very long time but I suppose there was just a kind of sense of on, on reality that um, such a tragedy could could visit could visit the family another local woman was telling me that um, I suppose COVID funerals have been very difficult Mick, and uh, locals have had kind of guard of honours and mm-hmm. they said they'll do their best to rally around this family and support them in, in whatever way they can you know but um, I suppose it also followed on, I believe, on Saturday in Clashmore, they had a cancer fundraising day where they had uh, vintage cars and tractor runs. And uh, one local councillor, Pat Nugent, was saying it was such a fantastic day. And they woke up the following morning to this to this awful scenario unfolding. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's just a kind of, I suppose, the local priest as well, um, Father Geary, said that uh, they'll keep the family in their prayers and uh, every support will be offered to them. So it's just the, the post-mortem today and uh, the, 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 the in question in a couple of months' time, I suppose. Of course, and it will have pet owners questioning their own animals, maybe, you know, and there are thousands of, yeah. of uh, loyal family pets out there who would die for their human friends rather than attack them. So... And this is just this unspeakable. Um, this wasn't, you know, you kind of hear these things and you hear, I suppose, pit bulls. And I mean, this was a Labrador crossed with a terrier, I believe, something, something like that. It wasn't anything, it wasn't an animal that anybody would have anticipated that this would, would occur. Um, but I suppose, you, you know, you just never know, but it, it's not something that they, they anybody could foresee happening. Mm-hmm. And what happens in these situations? The animal is immediately put down, I imagine. I would imagine so. I believe um, 
the family were fairly new to the area. The mother of the child is in their 20s. Um, the, the father is 32. I think they're originally from Yall. Um, they, they had moved to the area in, in recent months, if, or if not recent years, and weren't particularly well known. But um, people will do the best they can for them in the, in the coming weeks and months. Okay. There's not a whole lot more we can say. It's just really unspeakable, Olivia. Thank you so much. That's it. Thanks, Nick. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. That's Olivia Keller, and you can read her report in the Irish Times today. It's 20 minutes past nine. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And just on a follow-up to a piece in the morning papers where many, many companies, 75% of companies, are finding difficulty in getting staff. Here is uh, an email we got over the weekend. A job for my niece. Morning, Mick. You might be able to help if you can. I'm looking for a job for my niece. She's 17 years of age and spends way too much time at home and rarely goes out. We all worry greatly for her. She has sent out numerous CVs and has received little or no replies. If she could obtain some employment, it would be a huge opportunity for her to come out of her shell, which is our main concern. If any of your listeners have any job opportunities, part-time or full-time, it would be appreciated. Uh, if any of your listeners ring in with any job vacancies, please pass on my number. We would uh, find it helpful if we had your area, I suppose, or maybe some of the interests that your niece or some of the abilities she might you know, she might be better suited to hospitality or she may be back of house, you know, you know, housekeeping or something like that in hospitality. I don't know. Uh, but if you want to elaborate, we'll happily uh, put it out there for you again. The side effects of AstraZeneca. Hi, Mick. I got the AstraZeneca vaccine a month ago. I'm in the 60 to 69 age group, so I didn't have any choice. Unfortunately, I got very bad reactions to it and I'm still suffering with severe joint pains, a high temperature at night, and my life has just stopped due to this. My doctor has given me sulpidine, but I might as well be taking Smarties as they have no effect on the volume of pain. I'm a very positive person, but this continual pain is really starting to get me down. I'm curious to know if anyone else has had a similar reaction, because if not, then maybe I need to look into further investigation. Uh, I surely can't be the only one with adverse reactions to this vaccine, says Catherine. And your calls and comments are welcome. You can call us one eight five zero one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868104106 or email the regular show email, which is neil at redfm.ie. Let's go to line four and to Natalie. Good morning, Natalie. Hi, how are you? Very good. Now, just to follow up on the uh, the toilet call we had last week, we had a number of them, actually. Uh, and you yeah. had a situation as well in, in struggling to find a toilet in the city. Yeah, completely. On a bank holiday, um, the, on the Sunday, we drove into the city. I have to travel like 45, 50 minutes to get into the city. And by the time I get there, I need to like, use the bathroom. So we park at Paul Street, knowing that there's a bathroom there, and that one's closed. So we thought, okay, we'll walk down to the one in TK Max. That one was also closed. Um, we went into McDonald's thinking that they'd allow you to use the toilet there. Nope, not allowed to use there. So then we were told to go to Max's queue to use the toilet, and the queue was about 25 to 30 minutes long. It was wow. absolutely ridiculous. Um, okay. Yeah, people need to go to the toilet. Like, the city, like, it's busy. There's people and families out everywhere. It's just kind of a little bit of disappointment and disgrace, really. Yeah, on, you know, on the upside, and I know it's no help to you, but the Carrigaline Municipal District we advertised last week is doing a couple of dozen um, toilet facilities, portaloos, if you like, uh, d- yeah. dotted around their popular areas. But, uh, you know, we were surmising last week that there wouldn't be problems. I know Sunday is different now to Monday when the hospitality opened. Um, yeah. But that, you know, at least you could go and buy yourself a lemonade or something in one of the, one of the and pubs and, and use the toilets from yeah. yesterday onwards. Yeah. 
but that didn't help on Sunday. And no, there was it didn't. Loads of families around as well. They should have actually put in Portalese, thinking of the people and the amount of people that would have been in the city. Um, yeah. Or convert somewhere else, like all the empty shops, they should make turn on those into another public amenity. Because yeah. Cork's kind of so spread out for toilets. Yeah, and I, I know, I, I suppose there's no compunction on the fast food restaurants or whatever to keep their toilets open. No. Because no, it, it'll just be people walking in using them and not buying anything, I imagine. Yeah. So they, they can check, though, can't they? Get receipt, that's what they normally do. Just yeah. to see if you actually purchased something. I mean, maybe, maybe there's a business there. Maybe there was a business there. Maybe it's not available now because of the, uh, hosp- you know, the hospitality is open. But, yeah. um, you know, a, a pay-for-toilet <laughs> mobile facility, a big truck yep. with 20 <laughs> toilets on it or something. Yeah, you don't, yeah, well, anything would be better. So there's people with, like, hidden disabilities as well that you can't actually see that wouldn't be able to actually make it to the toilet. So it's kind of, yeah, it puts a lot of people kind of off coming to the city because they anxiety it actually takes to, to actually even just have to think where the next toilet is. Mm, and, so. and, of course, it's impacting the ability or the desire of the elderly to visit the city as well because yeah, they're yeah, saying, what, what if I get cut further. short, where am I going to go? Yeah, exactly. It's not a very nice feeling to kind of have to feel like that in a very public space either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, Natalie, thanks a million. Okay, no worries. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, bye-bye. Thanks, bye. Speaking of the elderly, we have an email here concerning the elderly and elderly who were apparently left behind at a bus station. Hi, Mick, I was wondering if you could please read this on your show. I finished work the other day at 5pm and as usual I headed straight for the bus station to take the 5.25pm bus. It's a very busy route. There were lots of people queuing up already, but the bus driver would only allow people with pre-booked tickets to board first, which consisted of the young and fit. He said uh, then only people with tickets were allowed to board, so all the elderly, who of course had passes, were left until last. But there was no room for them as the buses are at 50% capacity. So basically all the young and fit were left home, and the elderly were left standing waiting to hopefully get a seat on the next bus. I think it's a disgrace, and I hope you can highlight this issue. Uh, So much for safeguarding our elderly. It's only common sense that the elderly haven't pre-booked tickets because uh, they, of course, have uh, bus passes or whatever. A disgrace, and I felt so bad for them. So we did contact Bus Air, and we got this uh, reply. As people will be aware, all public transport is running at 50% capacity due to public health guidelines. With the opening up of society, Bus Aaron has been communicating with customers, asking them to plan their journeys and to travel off-peak where possible. We are particularly conscious of people who may not have used public transport very much since March 2020, and for whom these capacity limitations are a new consideration. In recent months, Bus Aaron has made a substantial investment in improving ticketing for its expressway services, including Route 51. This means that by booking online at expressway.ie, passengers can now secure a guaranteed seat. Tickets can also be pre-purchased at ticket vending machines and stations. This is a way to better manage our capacity and all seats up to 50% capacity are available for booking ahead. We are running information campaigns including radio advertising. This facility is also available for people with free travel passes. There is a small booking fee of €2. A step-by-step guide with videos available at Expressway DSP Free Travel Pass. We strongly encourage anyone using Expressway services to please book their guaranteed seats before their journeys. And with the bank holiday weekend and some fine weather, we'd like to remind everyone that demand for bus services, especially going to the coast, can be high. And to take the limited capacity into consideration as they plan their weekend. Best regards from Elizabeth in uh, Bus Erin. Yeah, I'd imagine the cohort, the elderly cohort, would not be so proficient at online booking. Uh, but I can see Bus Erin's point. Uh, pre-booked tickets is the way to go. It's 50% capacity. Uh, and I can see... 
uh, how upsetting it is to see elderly people left behind, especially with the lack of uh, toilet facilities in the city, as we've highlighted so strongly on the programme over the last few days. Back to our phone lines. Good morning, Pat. Good morning, me. How are you? I'm very good. It's Mick, actually. Oh, Mick, Mick, Mick. My apologies. No Sorry problem. About, no problem. No. I, just, I think it's interesting anyway, and I'm not trying to get anyone into trouble, which I won't, obviously. But I went to London there mm-hmm. and uh, the said last, last, sort of. anyway, it was just, uh, I went to London, uh, yeah, Sunday week last. Okay. And she said to me, she's in the home there in Hammersmith. So you, you went to see your sister, she's very ill, you had to go across to see her. Yeah, yeah, yes, I wanted to see her because it, it was at the stage, she was so bad, like, It'd be the last time I might see her type thing, mm-hmm. you know, because she is a diabetic. She's in a home, very, she don't get up out of it. Anyway, I booked a ticket over to come back and it was 200 euros. Grand, no problem getting out to see the sister, you know. So I went over there and to come back, you've got to get the COVID, which i done. We went up on the Tuesday. When you say get the COVID up. now, you have to get the test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no problem. But he said, okay, up to Tracy, we went and we got it done. And it cost 59 sterling. No problem there. I'm not worried about that. So I came back and we had the 72-hour window to get going, to get back. But I went up on a Thursday to go home, to come home. And I couldn't come home because I hadn't got the result back from the, for the COVID. So no way will they leave you on. That's fair enough. That's for the rules. Like, it's okay. I'm a bit protected now because, I'm, oh, God, what am I going to do? I'm going to be in London on another day. So I said to the girl, and she was rather nice, she says, look, there's no way, if you get it by 12 o'clock tonight, like, or before 9 o'clock in the morning, come in, we'll give you a transfer to Dublin. Okay, I said, it's still in the right towards the morning, Friday morning. So I went up and I said, look, I've got to get home. I'm, I'm not going to go back here. I don't want to stay here. I said, I only came over for a couple of weeks. And she, again, she was the same girl, very, very nice. And she was coming and humming and hawing. And then she said, look, she said, would you go to Belfast? I would. Of course I would. I said, yeah, yeah. No, I went to Belfast. I said, grand job. Well, I went away and got over into Belfast and uh, got a taxi into town. And I said, I'm going into town into taxi and talking to the man, the taxi man. And he's a nice fella. And I said, are you busy? You know, do you try and get the conversation up? Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah. We're kind of very busy with the Republic, he said. When, they, when, the, when the flights for the Republic, uh, when the flights come over here, he said, there's a lot of people using Belfast Airport. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, you don't need the COVID, you see. No, because you're, you're flying, essentially, within the UK. Yeah. That's correct, yeah, that's correct. So I got, he got me to the bus anyway, the, the internet, the Stiddling bus, and I got down to Dublin, no problem. I went to the city over to the station, and I got the train home. Now, the point I'm just trying to make, it cost me 242 sterling, 243 sterling altogether, between the flight home, the taxi, the airlink, and the COVID test. Now, when I was going to my sister in the morning, which I explained to the girl, I was getting the COVID test anyway. And it was exactly the same as I got in Chizzy for going home. But it's just a little bit different than the kind of... It's just 85%... Uh, okay, whereas the one coming home is 90-something percent. Okay. So I said, look, I'm getting this done. They won't let me in if I had COVID because I'm in a, 
a home for the elderly and what have you. And obviously, I'm okay. Which I was. But no cough, no anger. It was great. I was in great form. It was feeling good and everything. And I said, I couldn't get home. So the point I'm just trying to make is, I think it was totally wrong. Knowing no me, knowing um, Listen, I understand about COVID. I've stayed in, we've stayed in my house for the whole year, practically inside. I'm lucky I have a bit of a guard out the back to kind of keep it the back of my. So I didn't want to do anything wrong to infect anyone or, or cause a problem. But the point I'm trying to make it is, surely there could have been something just a little bit kind of, if you were checked in the airport going out or whatever, whatever, something similar to the, the test I got done in the home. Mm. And there wasn't. So, or even if they I, used that test in the home and made you quarantine at home for three or four days in Cork. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have no problem. I come home and I have not even gone out since I came home. Because that's it. But look what it, the, the roundabout and the stress that put me under, to be honest, was shocking. I really was, you know, I just wanted to get home, you know. Mm-hmm. But so you paid, you paid 166 yeah. euro for your flight to Belfast. And then you had to get a taxi for the bus to Dublin. Then you got to Dublin, yeah. and then you got the train. Uh, yeah. So that the whole thing cost two hundred and twenty-five pounds, uh, and essentially you end up in Cork, uh, having met five times more people than you would have met on the direct flight. Uh, here and here you are in Cork uh, without yeah. having the, the test, without having to quarantine. Whereas if yeah. you know if 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 they allowed you on and you volunteered to quarantine at home or whatever the restrictions yeah, are, yeah. you would have you would have been directly in at less cost and at less risk to the public. I would have, it would have cost me nothing. I ordered an added stamp that cost me 240. All the few stents, or whatever you call it, 243 sterling. Wow. For the one side coming home. And I wouldn't mind doing that. Like, I wouldn't mind doing that if I had to do, the, if I had to do something similar to go to Belfast. I wouldn't have, no. But to think I, had, I could do that and get home. And, I, and, and as you just said there, says the COVID test that I was getting done in the home had to be okay because you would, the people the, 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 the know people's home. Yes, and they're, and they're susceptible to, to the infection. Exactly. And I had to do that every morning. I was over there for five days. A Sunday I went over in the afternoon. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday I went over there in the morning. And once you got that done in the morning, because I'd go home again, go home, go back for the cup of tea, and I'm having a break, and you could come back, and that was okay because you were already after doing the test. If you understand what I mean, mm-hmm. so I had to do the test each morning to get this done. You wouldn't be allowed in. So different standards, I suppose. And now they're they're trying to uphold public health guidelines, and you know you can't fault them for that. But essentially, no, no, no. essentially, look, your test hasn't come through, even though you paid for it. Uh, yeah. But there's a way home. You can pay your way home without a test. Well, that's what it looks like. Okay, how is your sister? Are you hoping things will re- relax a little bit so you get back to see her again in easier times? It took two days before she kind of knew that's passed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and uh, she's in it like, yeah, it's as it is. And like we lost her, I suppose. But it was grand to know that I got off for now after a couple of days. You know, that's my brother. Telling everyone that's my brother, Pat. And that's worth you know? anything now. I know you had a hassle oh, coming home and you had a cost coming home, but that's... I'm not whinging about it. That's worth anything. I'm, I'm absolutely COVID. I, I don't want to do anything wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. In the last year, I've hardly gone outside the door. Tell you the truth. 
I haven't gone out at all. And that's okay. I have no problem with that. I understand that. We have to look after ourselves. We must make sure that we're not going to infect people with something that's so horrendous that I wouldn't like anyone to get it. And if I was the cause of someone... I'd never forgive myself, to be honest. That is the truth. Yeah, but I suppose there's a, there's a way around things because you can essentially fly from UK destination to UK destination and then use the soft Irish border or the soft, uh, you know, border between Northern uh, Ireland yeah. and the Republic yeah. uh, to get down and, and back into your own community without having the required test. Whereas if you come through your own Dublin or Cork, well, then you'd have to quarantine half the day, if you understand what I mean, you yes. know? yeah, yeah. You'll be told you better quarantine, like, or something about it. There's a lot of people using the Belfast Connection. I know a lot of people who use it over Christmas to come home. That's what they meant. They showed the fellow the taxi. Yeah. (laughs) They're flying it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks a million, Pat. Thanks for the story. Uh, Could I say something there? uh, Sure. uh, I have a son there. He's in um, Christoro Dalek. He's in Sweden. And he's always fairly on yourself and Neil or whatever. Okay. And he can't with you on the on their phone as well. He said, so I'd like to say he's usually looking in. And I just in case he's listening in or listening in. So I'd like to say hello, hi Christopher, hope the family are okay. Thank you, Mick. Well done, Thanks Pat. Thanks a million. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks, bye bye. Now we had a kind of a tangent issue which became a huge, huge end to the week last week in a very positive way. About famous people uh, that uh, our listeners have met, and of course trumping them all. Uh, was Liam Sheehan, the magician, who spent three weeks living with Michael Jackson and his young family at the time in a castle because uh, Michael Jackson had picked up his magician's card. And uh, just to finish up on that topic, we have another very interesting story from Linda McGrath, who wants to tell us all about her dad. Now, her dad has, has passed away, but he lived with Michael Jackson not for three weeks, did he? He lived with him for three months. Three months he lived with him. Hi, Linda. Good morning. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Good. Tell me about your dad and how he ended up being with Michael Jackson for three months. So my dad um, was a haulier all his life. And when he retired, he decided he'd go into executive uh, chauffeuring. Okay. And he worked for a company up in Cork Airport, based in Cork Airport. And he had lots of uh, many famous people, I suppose. But he'd never know who he was collecting from the airport until he arrived at the airport. So he was told um, in June 2006 that he was to collect someone at half past four at the airport and it was a very important person and he was to tell no one who he was collecting. So he arrived at Cork Airport and it's actually there is some YouTube clips of him uh, picking Michael Jackson up. But um, my father would have been a very uh, uh, old-fashioned man and um, Michael Jackson would have meant nothing to him, to be honest with you. And he wouldn't have got overly excited at the fact that he was picking up Michael Jackson at the airport. Um, but uh, he went to the airport, uh, picked him up, and um, there is video footage on YouTube of him picking uh, mm-hmm. Michael, uh, Grace, the childminder, and the three kids, Prince, Michael, and... Um, uh, Paris. 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 Paris, yeah, that's right. Because one of them used to be called uh, Blanket. Blanket, that's right, the, yeah. Yeah, one of them was nicknamed Blanket. So um, I, he was followed at the time. He was driving um, a Mercedes uh, bus at the time. And uh, obviously someone had got uh, wind of the fact that Michael Jackson was coming in off the plane that particular time and day. So they were followed and they ended up going trying to uh, lose the paparazzi at the time and ended up driving into um, my aunt's house who lived in Hillcourt in Donnybrook and drove actually into her driveway, parked in the driveway in her house until they had all passed. And everyone at the time thought they were staying down in Michael Flatley's uh, house in um, 
Blackwater Castle, but in actual fact, they were staying in Balnacurra House in, in Kinsale. So um, my dad, uh, then it became common that obviously people had recognised my dad and realised that he, you know, he was the chauffeur. And um, the reason Michael was here at the time uh, was he was looking for a, a house actually to live in, um, an estate. So they went around for three months all around uh, Ireland and they stayed in various estates around Ireland and they did end up staying down with Michael Flackley in, um, in Blackwater Castle for some time. And then they travelled from there up to um, the Luglo estate in Wicklow, okay. which was owned by the Guinness family. And they stayed there for quite a while as well. But um, I have a funny story where, um, as I say, my my mother and father would have been very old-fashioned. And my mother, as such, you know, my father was the worker. And my mother would serve my father, you know, his breakfast, his dinner, his tea, etc. And my father, really, when he came in from work, he would sit on his chair and with his remote control and he wouldn't move for the night. And um, I remember being staying at home or at home one night out in uh, Ballygarden, where we lived. And um, my Michael Jackson was down in Balnacurra House in Kinsale. And, and you knew, of course, you, you might have been a bigger Michael Jackson fan than your dad. It's, it's brilliant that, you know, these superstars get people who don't care who they are to drive them around. But you were probably a big Michael Jackson fan, were you? Knowing your dad was working closely with him or did he even tell you then? Oh, no, we knew at that stage he was working because we'd seen it on the news. And But my dad was very much by the book. So he had signed a uh, non-disclosure agreement that he wasn't to tell anyone where he was or anything like that. Mm. So he wouldn't actually tell us where he was. And then we were, we were saying to him, you know, can we meet up with him? Can you know? Can you bring us to him? But uh, he wouldn't allow us because he was very strict. It's not that no, it wouldn't be the done thing. But I'm just—it's yes. hilarious. Michael Jackson parked in a driveway in Hillcourt in Douglas just yes. to avoid the paparazzi. And what, what happened that particular night though was my father was sitting at home and it was like eleven o'clock or something like on a Thursday night, and Michael Jackson rang the landline because I don't think we even had mobile phones at the time. Okay. And he rang the landline from Balnacurra House in Kinsale. And, um, of course, my dad jumped up. You know, he was on call as such. And Michael Jackson wanted Kentucky Fried Chicken from Little Island. And we were all looking at each other thinking, good God, is he actually going to get up and go down to Little Island and get him? It wasn't heard of at the time. It'll be cold and by the time he gets to Balnacurra House. He drove to Little Island that night and got Kentucky Fried Chicken for all of them and drove to Balnacurra House with the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Wow. Another night he ended up, another day, he ended up down in Man Point, in the cinema in Man Point, not with Michael Jackson, but with Grace, the childminder, and with the three children. And they went to the cinema. And nobody knew, probably nobody even spotted the three kids without Michael in attendance. Without Michael in attendance, exactly. And um, he told me one night as well that uh, they were down in Kinsale, the village in Kinsale, and I don't know, does anyone recall this in Kinsale at the time, but um, my, my dad spoke very fondly of Michael Jackson and always said that he always thought he was a, a bit eccentric, but a lo- very good father. He said it was a very good father and actually, you know, it, it, they actually got on very, very well, so much so my father was later invited to the funeral. Um, at, at the funeral to attend the funeral. Now he did not go, but because my father had got ill at the time, but um, he he they had built up a very good relationship. But they were down in Kinsale one time, and they were driving through the village of Kinsale, coming out of Balnacurra, and um, Michael Jackson said, 
can you stop there? I'd like to run into the centre. You know, the, I think it's the centre on the way out of Springfield. <laughs> right, OK. And, and my dad said, you can't just jump out and go to the shop. And he said, no, 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 I want to jump out and I want to go to the shop. And he got out of the bus and went into the centre and supposedly bought something inside the centre. Well, but he, he'd, he'd cause a huge stir, to. wouldn't he? he was, I, I believe so, but, you know, it was such sudden and, you know, spur-of-the-moment decision, people didn't know. They were just driving past. See, I think they did a... They had a... They, they, my father wasn't told until the day before where they were travelling to. Yes, day. yeah, that, that's that's. So, I I once had to organise security for. Let's just say I won't say who, but I, let's say a keynote speaker at an event, uh, and I became very close in the in the couple of days we spent together with this guy George, right? But the principal, as they're called, the protect uh, the protected uh, person, uh, who's who's you know they're hiring close um, body protection, uh, and and this guy George would have been an expert, but. Um, the the protectee asked George, uh, so how, how do I know you're the real deal? Um, and he, he said, I can show you a few pictures of people that I've, uh, I've protected before. And he brings up one of Pink, right, the, the singer. Uh, oh, no, that's not the one I'm looking for, he said. Um, do you know this guy? And here he is protecting the Pope. <laughs> okay, you'll do. <laughs> the, the, there's another great story when he was... What, what's the studios outside Dublin? The, is it Ardmore Studios? Uh, he was there, and his um, he was close body protecting Tom Cruise. Okay, and um, his wife, of course, didn't know, wouldn't know, because it's it's a run of the mill. It could be anybody, any day. You know, I think uh, he works a lot now with the Brendan O'Carroll crew. Uh, but George was there, and uh, the wife rang. How are you getting on, George? I'm just um, just heading back into Dublin there now. And next thing, Tom Cruise put taps him on the shoulder and says, "I forgot to go to the toilet." Where's the nearest place? He said, oh, God, I can't bring Tom Cruise into any pub or anything. He'll stop the village. Hang on a second, he said. I'm living about five miles from here. We'll go home to my place and you can use the facilities. So when the wife rang, he said, I'm just popping by there with Tom Cruise. He wants to have a pee. Uh, would you go away, George, would you? You know, this kind of thing. So George opens the door and in walks Tom Cruise and on top of the wife and she nearly faints. And he goes, Tom Cruise is in my toilet. So there you go. Yeah, I think that's the way it was because my father had no security background or anything like that. And I suppose, I won't say he was picked out of others to, to, to pick Michael Jackson up, but he was probably the best person because he didn't get excited by him. Or, He'd be you the know, most unaffected by, oh, by, by the celebrity yeah, of the world's biggest star. Exactly, yeah. There would have been other people would have. And I think Michael Jackson appreciated the fact that, you know, this man... It's looking out for me, and he ended up. My father was a very, very big man, so he would have also. He also nearly became his security, right. uh, his bodyguard as well. And they used to sleep in different quarters, different quarters to them down in, uh, say, in uh, Michael Flatley's house. But Michael Jackson then said no; he wanted them to come and eat with him. Wow! So I think, um, yeah. So they came, and uh, he. Well, he well would Michael Jackson be staying for free in, in all of these landed gentry places? Uh, you know, castles and houses. Would he be renting them, would you think? I would imagine, like the Guinnesses, the Guinness house in Luglow, he was staying free. He mm. was there as a guest. But I don't know about the others, but he, he certainly was paying my father anyway. Oh yeah, but, of course, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, I don't think he was paying him any more than anybody else would pay him at the time. No big tip at the end or anything, no? No, no, he had, they did leave a few um, the face masks and gave him a beautiful poster, a handwritten picture of him and everything, but... Um, and the kids left some face masks behind them, which we have at home, you know. But 
no big tip or anything like that, yeah. no. It's a nice, nice mementos to have, though, nice memories when you meet famous people. Linda, exactly. th- th- thanks, thanks a million. Great, great yeah. memories for, you know, of, of your dad, now passed on, of course, uh, but those memories will always be yours. Well, it was an interesting eulogy, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine so, yeah. Uh, okay, Linda, thanks very much. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Okay, John is still holding. Back to John in a moment. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And so many other businesses reopening, of course, and lost in the deluge of uh, the clamour for attention from the pubs and the restaurants and the cafes and all the outside alfresco buzz that we're getting in Cork. So just to mention Slimming World in Blackpool at the Commons Inn is now reopened for current, new and rejoining members. Tuesday mornings, Tuesday evenings and Wednesday mornings. That's Slimming World in Blackpool at the Commons Inn, now reopened for current, new and rejoining members. To Line 6 and to John. Hi, John. Hi, good morning. No, you met Cliff Richard, did you? I did, but before I met him, I I met uh, David Attenborough. Okay. I was a chauffeur in London, right, out next to Royal Mountain Hospital on the Fulham Road there in Kensington. Okay. And I came back one night there, and on our sleeve we had uh, four convertible Morris Miners. But the boss said to me, uh, in the morning, nine o'clock, I want you to take one of the convertibles and go to Wimbledon Common, and you'll meet a David Attenborough and a cameraman. Okay. So I went off out. Was David Attenborough and, famous back then? Yeah, he, he, he was only, I'd say, starting then, I'd say. Mm-hmm. I'd say he had done his first, uh, first uh, safari, you know. But at the time, we had a big, big contract with the BBC for hire cars and chauffeur cars and, you know. But I mean, those, and I met him, and he explained to me what they wanted. They had done a safari for the BBC, and they forgot to take... Uh, shots of him driving the jeep right okay so he sat up on the back of the car you know behind me the cameraman knelt up on the, the seat the passenger seat and I had to drive around Wimson Common while he was by the way driving the jeep okay and and uh, the man taking photographs of it I'm, I'm thinking the Morris Miner is not the most salubrious uh, celebrity transport out there. They used to call it, it the Gallopin' Maggot, didn't it, they? The Gallopin' Maggot? It, 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 uh, it was actually ideal for what they wanted. Okay. You know? Was he nice? Oh, absolutely. A thorough gentleman. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic altogether, you know? And uh, I, I didn't know then who he was, you know? But, yeah. um I, I I was then got told to collect two guys from the West End um, and take them out to BBC in Shepherd's Bush. And from Shepherd's Bush, I went out to uh, the studios in Elstree, right? And who were they? But, uh, the, the, the one was John Barry Newland and the other fellow was Collier Young. And they told me they made the first four episodes of The Man from Uncle. Okay. You know? Did you meet Roger Moore as well? I did. Uh, well, I was out there. No. Well, I was out there. They come around in the morning at 10 o'clock for the tea. Right? Mm-hmm. 
and went walked over for a cup of tea, and who was just coming up alongside of me, Cliff Richards. Right? Okay. Big red bus was there. I'm going back in 82 now. Oh, summer know? holiday. Yeah, they were made, they were, what they were doing, they were, he told me they were doing retakes of summer holiday. Mm-hmm. You know? But like that again, he was in absolute, and he just joined the queue where everyone else had a cup of tea. You know? But at the same studios, you know, the, the, all the extras had to be in at 7 o'clock in the morning, and they play cards, I play cards with them, and we were sitting there playing cards, and next thing in with his voice, and he said, morning lads, he said, leave me in, I'll be back in two minutes. So he came back, and we sat down, and we played cards. And was he a good card player like James Bond? Oh, he was, yeah, yeah. Well, we were playing 25 because they could only play a short game because they could be called away any time, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's we just passing time football. with you guys, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, he was passing time with us. But um, he, uh, he after, after about 20 minutes, they were all called away, you know, for, for to do what they, they had to do, you know? Mm-hmm. But he, he was, he, he, I tell you, you know, I always had great time for him because for the simple reason is he was just one of the lads. Some of the biggest you stars know? in the world can be like that, I guess. A little, yeah, you know, yeah. unaffected by their celebrity and notoriety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. But another time I picked up, um, the, the, that's, well, I can't think of his name, no. Uh, my old man's a dustman. Oh, um... Yeah, he was the he was the hero of John Lennon. My own uh, Lenny... Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, what's his name? Lonnie Donegan. Lonnie Donegan. I picked him up on numerous occasions. And he always had another guy with him. And he gave, the other guy gave it the tip. Okay. Because Lonnie Donegan wouldn't put money in his pocket in case it, it put her out of shape. <laughs> John, i got to leave it there, but thanks. Cliff Richard, yeah, Lonnie Donegan, Roger Moore, and David Attenborough. Two minutes to ten on the Neil Prendeville Show. News is on the way. Hey, it's Killian. Join me Sundays from 10 for loads of music, a bit of chat, and my mildly interesting facts of the weekend. It's the Sunday 10 to 2 show with Killian on Cork's Red FM. Imro Music Station of the Year. You're on Cork's Red FM. Now, a man in his 50s has been released from custody after he was arrested in connection with an incident where staff at the Harp Bar in Cork were threatened with a knife and one person was injured last evening. So has tweeted Paul Byrne of Virgin Media News. A man in his 50, uh, 50s has been released from custody after he was arrested in connection with an incident where staff at the Harp Bar were threatened with a knife and one person was injured last evening. Thanks to Paul Byrne of Virgin Media News for that. We also got a phone call that there was a house petrol bombed <clears throat> in the area as well and that there are a lot of elderly people afraid in the area. But to things more light-hearted and back to our phone lines and to Matthew on line six. Hi, Matthew. Morning, Mike. How are things? I'm very good now. Oscar Schindler. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Liam Neeson. He was down in Bill the Blair, if I say it right then, I'm not sure, years ago when he was filming for Michael Collins. Mm-hmm. And he came into their local pub, the Diamond Bar, owned by Gene and Eileen O'Callaghan. Good morning. And uh, he came in, and my uncle Jimmy Donovan and Tom Stanton, who are now both dead, they were in there having their morning drinks. And Liam came up and he got himself a Lucasade or something. And he bought the lads points and a few drops. And he was chatting away and he was there for a while. And then when he left, then he put in a load of money. He said, Buy the lads drinks all day. Two boys are delighted, but they didn't realise who was sat beside him. They just thought he was a tourist on holiday. <laughs> so in walks the big fella. Well, the next big fella. 
and yeah, uh, yeah. they don't know who he is. And McClue. And of course, he, 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 he was a thing coming. <laughs> is he from Ballymena or somewhere? He's got that kind of northern accent, that northern lilt in his voice. Yeah, Ballymena, isn't he? Uh, was it? Yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and then never knew who he was. And he's a big man now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when they left, someone to explain to them who they were. And they were like, nah, nah, scratching heads. Well, we got some drinks, so they were happy out. <laughs> and Mick, before I go, can I just say a good shout out to Andy and Shirley Madden in Crossbury? You spoofed them long ago with trying to dig up their drive all the tarmac. Okay. <laughs> the old bog road before she was tarmac, was it? Yeah, well, no, the driver is freshly laid drive and you made out the ESP wanted to dig it back out. I remember that vaguely. There's so many years ago. Uh, they were yeah. of their time, those wind-ups, because you couldn't probably oh, do it now they. with the GDPR and privacy and all the politically correct stuff that has to go on today. Oh, yeah, the world's gone mad now, haven't it? Anyway, your uncle and your next-door neighbour got drinks from Michael Collins. Not the real yeah, one, yeah. But, uh, but Liam Neeson in Belnam Law. And the Diamond Bar, was it? The Diamond Bar, yeah. That's okay. Fun. Thanks a million. All right. Cheers. Cheers Thanks, Matthew. Bye, Keith bye. was on the Late Late Show with Pat Kenny uh, over the years. Hiya, Keith. Oh, Mick, how's things, bye? Not too bad. That's a good Cork accent, anyway. Oh, Mick, I did. I met it. No, I suppose you wouldn't be as famous as that, but Pat Kenny, I sat down with him in the Late Late Show. Go on, tell us all about it. He interviewed me. I I done a program there, that's what, early years ago, there, that's what I was in the program there, written off, it was an aim Right, just that if you couldn't, um, it was for the adult education, to go back to education. And I was promoting the show, and I went up there this night, and I was invited up there, and I was I was up in the green room having a few drinks. You'd know the green room now, wouldn't you, Mick? I'd know a little bit of it, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I said I'd decide I'd go for a fag anywhere. And I went outside the door for the fag. It would have been about half here, I think, just after that nine o'clock or something. And I was out, I'm just like in a glass of wine. And he came out, this is a big man, Mick. He's a tall man. Pat Kenny, yeah, he's a tall man, yeah. He's a tall man, isn't he? And next of all, he came and uh, he says, oh, you must be Keith, yeah? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, Pat. How's it going? And he put his hand to me, so he said, oh, Keith, now is this? And I said, Pat, you'll be all right, bye. Don't worry about what I said. <laughs> you don't sound like, uh, to me, like a man who would be very nervous talking to Pat Kenny now. Oh, no, I know. Did I say to him, don't worry about his nerves. <laughs> <laughs> and he says to me, put the hand on, he said, Keith, oh, nerves, mate. I said, Pat, don't worry about it, mate. You'll be all right, I said. Don't worry about it. How, how, did, you, how well, did you find him? You know, some, some people call him the plank. I, you know, I always thought he's a fantastic current affairs interviewer. But may, 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 maybe a little lacking on the on, on the human side. He doesn't have that t- sort of Tommy Tiernan touch. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, like he would be the man that would tell you a joke. You know what I mean? Like, and you would, and I'd be afraid I wouldn't even tell him a joke. Do you know what I mean? In case he might break his face or something, but just smiling. He's not a fair man for smiling, like. But I was on it with um, Jackie Healy Ray's um, son, Michael, I think. Yep, Michael Healy Ray from Kerry. He was on the same night as well. And I was supping with him up in the green room afterwards, after the show. He don't drink at all now. And he said to me, Kate, he said, you're on the show. He said, because you can't read or write. I said, I, uh, yeah, I said, yeah. You might be able to read or write, he said, but you're a cute old hog. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you'd have a few stories to tell Keith, would you? Uh, I tell you now, that's it. I could tell you all day, that's it, a couple of stories. Mate, will I just tell you one quick one? Tell, tell me the funniest one you have, then. All right. We were walking up in Kildare one time, right? And 
we had to stay up over the bear, right? And we were rained off this Monday morning. Mrs. O'Brien was on the M, right? And we were all in the bear the Monday morning. To the camp, the daughters, no, whatever. And the daughter said to me, Mrs. Lane, he's off, Keith, and me mother want you downstairs. And off I went down and here downstairs. And she said to me, Kate, would you bring them up there? She says, bring them uh, peanuts up there. She had them in the jail, lovely jail. But I want the jail back, she says. I said, all about them, it's a nanny. And up I went to get them all the... I said, that's the peanuts. Then Mrs. Nanny sent them up. Jesus, Keith, she never gave us peanuts before. But I said, they're there now. I said, I couldn't hear them because I have no teeth, Mick, right? So I brought back down the jail. after what she said to me. She said, well, Keith... What do you think of them? I said, Mrs. Nanny said they were lovely. Do you know what, Keith? I only like the chocolate off them, she said. She was oh. sucking the chocolate off the peanuts, Mick. She was I sucking the chocolate in. off the peanuts and sending the... <laughs> I throwing them back into the drawer, into the glass drawer. And Keith. all the lads ate them? All the lads ate them. Well, I went up and I said, it to, I said, lads, she's at the... No, the <laughs> and oh, they were throwing up all over. I said, Mrs. Nanny, you shouldn't have done that. I did drink more, she said. <laughs> <laughs> so you were staying over a pub? Staying up over the pub, we like, were. Like vampires living over a blood bank, were you? Ah, to will stop me there. There was more work done in the pub than there was that walk. <laughs> Keith, thanks a million. You're an entertaining character. Thanks a million. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye-bye. Now, time is uh, coming up on 15 minutes after 10. The Neil Prenderville Show. Now, let's go to something I found on social media over the weekend, just before we take a break. Uh, this is a very good story. I came across once, I was in Vegas once. You only ne- ever need to go there once. It's a surreal place. Don't stay longer than two days or it might take hold of you. Uh, but anyway, walking down the strip in Vegas, I saw a pub called Nine Fine Irishmen. And uh, there was queues to get in there, so I didn't actually go in. And I want, always kind of wondered in the back of my head, why is that place called Nine Fine Irishmen? And uh, I came across this on social media over the weekend. Nine famous Irishmen. And I can only reason uh, and conclude that uh, that pub is called Nine Fine Irishmen because of this particular story. So here's the story. Uh, In Ireland, nine men were captured, tried and convicted of treason against Her Majesty the Queen during what has been referred to as the Young Irish Disorders in 1848 or thereabouts. The nine who were sentenced to death were Pat Donoghue, Charles Duffy, Michael Ireland, Morris Lien, Thomas McGee, Terence McManus, Thomas Marr, John Mitchell and Richard O'Gorman. The judge asked if there was anything any of them wished to say before being sentenced. Marr, whose response summed up the attitude of them all, replied, in other words, they weren't recognised in the court, My Lord, this is our first offence, but it won't be our last. If you'll be easy with us this once, we promise on our word as gentlemen to do better next time. Sure, we won't be fools to get caught again. The judge was outraged rather than amused at Mars' remarks and indignantly decreed that the defendants should be hanged until dead and then drawn and quartered. Passionate protests, however, influenced Queen Victoria to commute the sentence to banishment for life and transportation to far wild Australia. In 1874, an astounded Queen Victoria received word, word that the Sir Charles Duffy who had uh, been deported, lifetime banishment to Australia, had been elected Prime Minister of Australia. And that was the very same Charles Duffy who had been transported there some 25 years before. Curious about the fate of the other eight Irishmen, the Queen demanded that the records of those transported in the 1848 incidents be researched and be revealed to her. 
And this is what was found. Thomas Marr, Governor of Montana. Terence McManus, Brigadier General, U.S. Army. Patrick Donoghue, Brigadier General, U.S. Army. Richard O. Gorman, the Governor of Newfoundland. Morris Lien, Attorney General of Australia. Michael Ireland, Attorney General of Australia following the term of Morris Lien. Thomas McGee, Member of Parliament in Montreal and the Minister for Agriculture and President of the Council Dominion of Canada. And John Mitchell, a writer and prominent New York politician. His son became the Mayor of New York City. Nine fine Irishmen and nine famous Irishmen you have. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Hi, Mick. I'm hoping at some stage you can please take a few minutes to read out my email. Just Sunday gone, I rang the hospital shop in CUH to have a few items delivered to my neighbour, who was unfortunately in hospital for a little while. For unimportant reasons, I spoke to three different staff members over the course of the day. And I just wanted to give them a shout-out because each lady was so accommodating, so friendly and so understanding to speak to. The final lady, Lee, I think her name was, went above and beyond the requirements of her job and even rang me back afterwards to tell me my neighbour was delighted that his parcel uh, had arrived and uh, that uh, was even able to tell me my neighbour had a lovely room. And because he already had the newspaper I had chosen for him, she would drop another one tomorrow and a bar of chocolate to make up for the difference in price. How lovely. I just thought, what a lovely gesture for her to ring me back and let me know. It's good to know we still have such kind people in the world. So fair play to the hospital shop staff. It was very much appreciated. And please don't give out my personal details, but thank you very much for reading. So hats off and well done to the hospital shop staff in the CUH. Back to our phone lines and Brendan's on line one. Hi, Brendan. Hi, Mick. Hi, how are you, sir? Fine, thank you. Okay, um, you, you want to talk uh, to me about applying for a vaccine? Yeah, yeah, for for vaccine number one, Dale, um, uh, on, on the 29th of May, my, my GP gave me the first vaccine, okay? Mm-hmm. And then, two days later, after I contacted the HSE to tell them that I was getting my vaccine off the GP, I got another text again to say I had I was due for vaccine number one again on the thirty first of May. So, so that's cross wires the, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I rang the HSE again to inform them again that I was getting it off my GP and again on the fourth of June I was to get my first vaccine again in Parky Keith, and I'd done the same thing again. And on the 5th of June again, I got another text to go to the City Hall to get vaccine number one again. So you're, you're being sent all over the place, and they're vaccinating you to be sure, to be sure, to be sure, to be sure. To be sure, to be sure, yeah. Yeah, four times. Four times, yeah. I've, I've been done for vaccine number one. Okay, I, I suppose, and I imagine it's impossible to roll out a vaccine program to four million odd people. Uh, yes. across the country. No, that's including the youngsters if they ever get it. Yes. Uh, without some bit of overlap or some few hiccups or whatever. But this seems to be like you're you're the multi-person. Uh, yes, e- yes, even yes, when you I'm told them you, you've got number one, I don't need it again, uh, it happened yes. three more times. Yes, each, each and every time I, I, I contacted the, the HE, HSE helpline number and they told me that, that it would be cancelled. But four times, they still sent me texts to get vaccinated. Wow. Okay, so what happened in the end? Did they accept that, okay, you have it, you're off the list, or what? I don't know, no, till, as I said, as I said, 
I took the first one off my GP and I kept on getting the messages and contacting the HSE and they said that they'd send me, kept on saying they'd send me out a new appointment again for vaccine number one. Well, do you, do you expect to get four appointments for vaccine number two now? Well, probably, I'd say, probably, probably. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's a strange one, but your GP told you to call the HSE let them know you did. Uh, and on yes. the 31st of May, you received an invite for the jab in City Hall. On the 4th, you received another one for an invite at Parky Cube. And yes. you received a third one for the June in the City Hall as well. Yes, Nick, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, at least that's that's three vaccines that can be delivered elsewhere if they're fast enough to, to call exactly, somebody in, exactly, I guess. Exactly, you see, because I know no, I know no the way the vaccine works. They start to the top and come down. But like, um, myself and my colleagues there in in, um, in, in, in Moiser Bins in Middleton, like, we've been on the front line as well, like, but I know I must start to the people at the top first, you know what I mean, like. Oh. Have, yeah. have people been sanitizing bins? They've all been asked to do it, but are you seeing any evidence of bins being sanitized before you guys come in contact with them? Yes, there is, there is, there is, there is a lot of customers will come out and sanitize the bins after I, after I touch them. Like. Uh, but what about before you touch them? Are they sanitizing them for you? Uh, some people would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So. Okay. Nice one. Okay, yeah. let let us know if you get the uh, the call for vaccine number two. Uh, I will not three three yeah. more times. And no thanks for that, Brendan. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Thanks very much. Bye bye. 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 Uh, some text I didn't get to on Friday morning. Mick, lately I'm seeing employees of uh, delivery services with no masks. I'm quite surprised that they're handling our items on a regular basis. I'm seeing two members of the service next to each other in a van without masks on. For such a big company, why aren't they putting the COVID regulations into practice to keep people safe? I asked my regular delivery guy why two members in the van had no masks. He said they had been trained and should be wearing masks. It's very careless. Carry on. Now the texture says, did I hear correctly? Somebody saying we should go back into lockdown because of the Indian variant. Uh, I still can't believe people are so gullible. Even India didn't go into lockdown over the Indian variant. The uh, subject of toilets, uh, high make in relation to toilet facilities. Inch Beach is lovely, but it has no toilet facilities. Not even a portable toilet. It's an absolute joke. Why wasn't there one placed there? Now let's go to line three and to Kelly. Good morning, Kelly. Hi, how are you, mate? I'm good. Listen, thanks for coming on. Uh, I know it takes a little bit of bravery, uh, and yeah. I know you're, you're you're taking a few deep breaths. Uh, but just relax and let's talk about this because there's going to be a very worthy outcome. I hope to your story, which is a story of some sadness, of some poignancy, of some tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. Take me through it from the start. I suppose when a woman finds out she's pregnant, she's well, looking I, forward well, to I, nine months of uh, staying healthy, wanting her baby to arrive healthy. That didn't yeah. happen for you. No, I uh, I found out I was pregnant in before Christmas, uh, twenty twenty, and um, in January, I went to my local doctor, not my own GP, and we should have, but it was you know lockdown, all that, so I just went to my local GP, and um, he he confirmed my pregnancy, gave me um, he 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 put the heart mark. You know, I, I heard the baby's heartbeat, all that. And um, he said he couldn't give me, uh, get me, it would refer me to get a scan because he wasn't my own GP, so I'd have to go to my own GP. So I got onto my own GP and she was, she, she didn't get me a scan straight away. Um, so I got, I, I, I got, I was in severe pain um, around the 9th of January. 
So I ran the hospital and the midwife or the nurse, I don't, I'm not sure who it was, but um, she said to me, yeah, it sounds like a miscarriage, but there's actually nothing we can do for you. So just, you know, wait for every, the symptoms all out of a miscarriage. And if you're really bad, come in. So um, it started at three o'clock in the morning. And what I what I thought was a miscarriage. Um, so I got through it. I stopped at about quarter to seven. The next morning I came down for a cup of tea. Everything, you know, was I thought it was over. Um, so then on the fast forward, the 13th of January, I know, I know what happened because it was my daughter's ninth birthday. And um, at about half four, I ran to the hospital. I, I said... Um, uh, can I come in? I was talking to someone. They said it was a miscarriage. I, I might have to get uh, be cleaned out, or you know, uh, mm-hmm. stuff. And um, I went in. Now I'm not one for talking ill of people or anything like that, but you wouldn't think she was a midwife. The woman that met me in the C1H, she didn't take any notes. She didn't write anything down, and um, she was in a rush. Really, really rushed, you know, rushing me to. It was like she was hurrying for her break or something, you know. So um, I said, "Can I get a scan or anything like that?" No, no, we're not, we won't give you a scan. Now. We'll just go down and, and check the baby's heartbeat. So went way down anyway to a, a room, and she put the monitor on me for about two seconds at the bottom of my stomach. Now I've had two kids. I know a baby doesn't go down till it's bigger. So, um, in the, the place where she put it was, you, have, you know, you have to move it around, things like that. So, no, straight away she said, no, there's no heartbeat. I'm very sorry. So I was absolutely devastated. I texted my friends, my mom, all that. Um, my mom was very upset about it, you know, um, another baby in the family, like my kids are a bit older, like, but... Um, and we're still talking about January here, Kelly, are we? Yeah, January the 13th, this is. So, um... That's grand everything. Look, my life went back to normal as best it could. I got on with everything, you know. Um, bank holiday, Easter bank holiday, Monday, April the 5th. I was relaxing at home, eating Easter eggs, watching films, as you do. And I couldn't get comfortable at all. And every, every time I moved, it was just like... It, uh, it was something I, I don't know I didn't feel right so it was about half eight I waited till nine o'clock and I went to the bathroom and I uh, it was absolutely horrific I had a prolapse which is the umbilical cord came out so I thought I was dying I thought it was my intestines you know it sounds crazy sounds stupid, whatever, but I thought it was my intestines. I rang the hospital straight away. She said, drop everything, come straight in. But she said, um, can you make your way? And I said, no, I'll have to get an ambulance. But you, you should do that because it'll take us ages to get an ambulance. It would take you two seconds. So I said, all right. So I rang an ambulance. Um, it's pretty I don't remember the ambulance woman's name because she was absolutely amazing. She kept me calm. I was shaking and everything. She just she came away up the stairs to where I was in the bathroom. They got here in about 15 minutes. And um, she brought, she said, can I see? I said, no, I was too afraid. I, no, there was, no, I wasn't showing anybody anything. And um, she brought me into the ambulance. On the way to the hospital, the CUH, 
uh, I started to kind of get very dizzy in the ambulance. She looked at me, she said, you all right? I said, I don't know. I was, that's what happened as well before I ran the ambulance. It's like, like I got a head rush and I like was all dizzy and I was like, oh my God, there's something happening here. Um, so anyway, on the way to the ambulance, the, uh, the hospital, the same thing happened. So she said, can I please have a look? I just didn't, I barely showed her, said to her, the person driving, we have to go straight to C1H, this girl's having a baby. What? So I said, I said laughing, like I said, no, I'm not having any baby. I said, I miscarried 10 weeks ago. She said, no, you're having a baby. So we went in and she said, okay, look, we, we'll see what they say. Because I kept saying, no, you're wrong, you're wrong. Um, so we went into the hospital. I got there for quarter 10. They got me fitted in a room in the labour ward. Uh, they gave me a scan. I heard, all I heard was a heartbeat. And I said to the midwife, whose heartbeat is that? So that's your baby. I seen on the screen. Oh, Mick, I just, I, I screamed. I just, I let it roar. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. How far along were you at this stage? 24, 25 weeks? 25 weeks and four days. So that's just um, about at the at the limit of viability that, that the baby possibly 20, could survive. No, no, yeah? no, I found out twenty one weeks. Twenty one is it? 20, you can you can keep a baby in an incubator and hopefully they live at twenty one weeks. I was I was six months. So I begged her. I begged the midwife, please, will you take him out? Please, I Peggy. I said to put him in an incubator. I will take full sole responsibility for him. No, I'm sorry, we can't do that. Protocol. What what's the protocol? That you I have? have no idea. I'm trying. I'm. I have a lot going on in the background. I'm trying to figure all this out as well. What what's the protocol? I have no idea. Um, I think they went on a personal. Um, you know, what they personally felt. I wasn't anyway professional. I was treated like crap. Um. I, anyway, I I had big. This was ten o'clock on the sixth, the night time, and uh, at. I kept begging him all through the night, please can you understand, please can you understand. He, no, his heart, he was perfect at 10 o'clock. He was perfect, like he was big, you could see him, in, I know now it doesn't tell you how big they are, but like he was a big, you could see him, like. Uh-huh. And um, at 10 past four, they gave me another scan and he had passed at eight minutes past four. So, sorry, no. Okay, take a breath, relax. So um, I just I just was crying and things like that. Like I didn't, I was in shock, and I kept saying to them, like, "Why didn't you take him out?" But she had said to me all that night, "We'll see what will happen. We'll see what will happen." So um, when when they told me he's actually gone, they showed me him on the monitor, and there was no red flashes or anything. It was completely it was just him, like, um. So they um induced my labour to give me a tablet and I had him at 25 past 5 on the 6th of April. So I was in labour for a few hours but I, I wouldn't push um, because I was afraid what was going to come out. Like I was afraid what he was going to look like and then to my uh, to my shock and, and uh, I was so overwhelmed by it um, the midwife who delivered my second daughter came into the room and um I just was like, I just asked her, like, there's uh, different midwives, really different things. So I asked someone that I trusted, what's he going to look like? She said, Kelly, he's going to look beautiful. All that he needs to do is grow. He's going to be tiny, but he's going to be fully formed. He's going to look perfect. So then I just pushed and I had him at 25 past five. And he weighed oh, just over 500 grams. 
So Half a kilo, that's about £1.1, is it? Yeah, yeah, about that. Um, so the midwives that were in with me were, were, were lovely. They were, like, I can't say anything bad about them. They were, my, you know, my labour was terrible because a baby, a live baby will help um, come out, you know, but mm. um, a dead baby can't. So I was doing it all on my own and it was absolutely horrific like they did offer me the epidural at the end but by the time they did I was I just want I, I pushed and he was out because mm-hmm. um, I didn't actually go to 10 centimetres you don't go to 10 centimetres or anything like that You, I went to 5 centimetres and he was out like so um, it traumatised the rest of my life okay and you yeah. don't have to you don't have to dilate to 10 because of, it, of the small size is it yeah, yeah. You, no, you don't go. I thought you. Okay, I said, kept thinking, "Oh my God, ten yet?" She's like, "No, no, you don't have to go to ten. She said, "You, you could, you, you could get him out. Like at about five or six. And I was at five centimeters when I when I gave birth to him. So because he's so he, oh, he was so tiny. But oh my God, the minute they handed him to me, all I said was, "He's the image of my youngest daughter." Oh my God, they were the spit of each other. Same nose face, everything. His hands were big, his feet were big, like he was just perfect. Perfect. All He was just so tiny. That's it. There was no... People have have this idea that, you know, they're not fully formed on this. They are. They are. They're fully formed in about five months. Um, and you were coming up to six, weren't you? About 20... Was, yeah. Yeah, five and a half. Yeah, I was coming up to six months. So, um, they could have put him in an incubator. Uh, I was talking to three girls outside when I went out for my fag and outside the hospital and one of the girls had a 22-week-old baby, another one had a 25-week-old baby and the other girl was being induced at 23 weeks. So, and the, the two other girls that had their babies, they were in incubators. Now, I, one of the girls I'm in contact with, her baby did pass um, after a month of fighting, God love her, she uh-huh. did pass last week at uh, 24, 25 weeks. Uh, it was very sad um, for the girl, but... Uh, she kept fighting for a month, you know. But yeah. I, I would have look. I would have, I would have preferred. Like I, am not trying to sound bad, but I would prefer that to, you know, have my baby for a month. Have your baby fighting yeah. for fighting for life rather than yeah, yeah, absolutely. What, what happened next? Not being even given a chance. What, um, what happens next in a situation like this, Kelly? I was in the hospital for four days. They looked after me fantastically. I was in a ward just for uh, stillbirth and. Um, mothers and they looked after me brilliantly I can't give enough credit I can't um, I had a lot of people coming in and out of my room things like that but look that's all part of it there was a lot of counsellors in and out a social worker came in to see me I just said I, I didn't want to speak to her because I haven't heard great things you know um, so um, I had him for four days then someone came into my room and offered did I want to take him home so me and my mum were just sitting there saying, Do can we? And she the midwife said, Yeah, you can for a few days. But well, we need to come home with a cooler bed. Oh, that cooler bed drove me insane when he did come home. It was going down below temperature, it was going up above temperature. It was, uh-huh. but they just they I kept bringing them like I I was driving them insane, I know I was, but I was so worried that he was gonna heat up and decompose. That's all I was freaking out about. And um, but you had four days at home with him. I had four days at home and four in the hospital. Yeah, so he was cremated on the thirteenth. 
of no, yeah, the thirteenth of um, April. And you weren't able to let him go. No, I, I know. I, it was my, um, the, it's my, it's my partner that, um, Dara's dad that had to stop me from taking, from taking the his funeral, his coffin back from the in the cremation place. Like I couldn't, I just, I couldn't believe what was happening. I couldn't believe what was what, what I was going through. I have two healthy kids. I have two alive children. Like, oh my god, when someone finds out they're pregnant, like you, you don't. You this is the last thing that. But you expect you'll have to deal with, and you have to deal with it. I I think I'm dealing with it. People are a bit worried, saying, you know, I'm dealing with it too well. But nobody sees me at home on my own. You know, I go out and I put on a smile on my face and I go, you know, be with my friends and, and family and stuff, but nobody sees me on my own. Uh-huh. And this fundraiser, I'm, start, I'm after starting a fundraiser for um, a memorial headstone for him, right? People are a bit confused about that because he was cremated. I didn't really get a choice whether to bury him or cremate him because it happened so fast and the decomposing and things like that. So I got him cremated. But my, my, heart, my plan is what I'd really love to happen is I actually put a deposit down in a plot out, out in my area, um, out the road in a little graveyard. And I'm going to bury some ashes in that, but I want to get a headstone and put it up and have a look, look do you know, some lovely things written on it for me and my kids and my family. So you want to have somewhere um, to be able to go? Yeah, exactly. And Dara has a godmother and a godfather and... You know, the godmother did say to me, like, are you sure you, like, fight if you don't want to get him cremated because you will want someone to go for him. Like, I have his ashes. Yeah, I do. I mean, that's, I I bring them. I know this might sound crazy, but I do put them in my handbag sometimes. Like, just, mm. you know, because I want to see he's my, he's my boy, he's my child, you know. So I want to be able to go somewhere with me and my daughters and go and sit with him for a while. Do you know what I mean? That's it. So mm. that's why I started this fundraiser. Um, but it's struggling a bit because they don't have social media and things like that. So yeah. I've had a lot of support. People, a lot of my friends have donated like it's up to three fifty, which is great. In four days, like you're, you're dealing with it very bravely, and it's very brave to come on here and tell the story as well. I know you took a few minutes to to get your oh, breath no, together with, with very, nerves and that. No, and I was very nervous. Yeah. Very nervous. I wouldn't say you're dealing with it very well, and, and I don't think anybody could. But I know you're dealing with it bravely. I can tell in, in just from the tone of your voice that it's really, really affecting you and that uh, this, you know, un- unbreakable bond that you had with Dara is still there. Absolutely. I, um, I'm heartbroken. I lost my partner two years ago. He died in Oliver Plunker Street in town. And it was, I was running for six years. And um, I thought that that was, my life was over after him. I couldn't, I still grieve for him. Um, but losing your child, my God, I never thought ever that this could land on my door. Ever. How much I mean, do you I need to raise to have that headstone that will give you some sense of closure? Well, my goal is 1,500, but a young fella, James Morrison, got on to me um, through, I set up a memorial page on Facebook for Dara, and he got on to a friend of mine that shared it, and I got his number. I rang him, lovely, lovely young fella. He does the headstone, so he said that, um, you know, try and raise as much as I can, and he will help me with the rest. So he'll do it as perfect as I want. He'll do anything that I want. So I was really uplifted by that because I was re- I was feeling really, you know, 
I just didn't think it was, it was funny as it was going to go anywhere. I couldn't share it, you know, but then a lot of people did start sharing it and I'm still getting donations, like, you know. In and where can people find the GoFundMe page? Um, well, it's on Go, it's obviously on GoFundMe, but it's on a memorial page called Dara's Memory, but memory is M-E-M-O-R-I-E because they wouldn't let me push why, I don't know, if, I don't know why, but... M-E-M-O-R-I-E and of, uh, of course we've put it now on our Facebook and our Twitter accounts as well so people can just go to the, the Neil Prendeville show social media sites uh, and be able to access that and uh, so you may not need the full 1500 but if you've got a thousand maybe you'll be able to get it done with the, oh, yeah. with the favour of the yeah, guy I'm, yeah he yeah, he was um, I, he's lovely 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 fella like, and I, don't, I, I know his mother right, from where I live she used to live here but, and I know him when he was very very young but I haven't seen him in years but he's lovely so he just said that he'd, um, he'd do his best, like, you know? Uh-huh. And, so, and, um, and do you think, I, I mentioned closure, do, do, you, do you think you'll able be able to move on once you have this place to visit? Oh, I will, it will do something for me anyway, because this is all I've been thinking about. This has been on my mind since since I had him cremated. I was like, where am I going to be able to go and out to see him? Like, stand in front of his ashes? No, I, I need someone to be able to sit with him, whatever, but this has been on my mind. I mean, I'm so, um, I don't know, I just feel down the last few days. Um, it's been, it's taken over a small bit, you know, it's like, um, I have to have it, you know, but it's just, I, I, I had no, I would never, I never, you know, would have put myself in GoFundMe on, I, I, I know what a choice really. You know? I, I think I think what what it is psychologically is that you probably need this physical piece of carved stone yeah. to, to yeah. maybe stand as a monument to your love yeah. for Dara. That, that's one hundred percent it. Now, Mick, that's it. So um, I that's it. A physical, you know, yeah. yeah. That's my. I, I won't get closure from it because you know. I, you, you'll get a bigger sense that you've done right by him. Yeah, that I've done something for him because I couldn't be his mother. I, I've done something good for him in his name. You know, so that's that's why I'm kind of, um, you know, I really, I really want this. Like, I really, and for my kids as well, my daughters, you know. Mm-hmm. That's, that's their brother. I mean, my little one only said, my youngest one only said to me at Christmas that she'd love, I said, what you want off Santa? I'd love a baby brother or sister. I said, laughing. And then I found out two weeks later I was pregnant. So, um, and then all this happened. Now, I, I only just recently told them because I know, like, you think you tell them straight away. Imagine how confusing that is for kids if it was that confusing for me that I was pregnant, then I had a miscarriage, then I wasn't. Then I am. Then I, do you know all this? So I wanted to protect them as well. But I did tell them my youngest isn't, she doesn't really un- understand a lot, but my oldest is, she's pretty upset about it. She wants us her brother. Mm. Sad for herself, sad for you, sad for what might have been. Yeah, absolutely. I forever think about him. It just every Christmas, birthday, Easter, everything. I just forever think about him. Shelley, this has not been an easy story for you to relate, especially on the airwaves to thousands of people. So, I I, I do salute your bravery on that, and I do hope you reach the target because it's it's through the goodwill of the people really that you might feel some positivity coming out of this and to build that monument to the love you have for Dara. That's it, and people have been very supportive and, and, and so appreciative of that, you know. All right, Kelly. So, um, thanks so much, Mick. Thanks a million, and I, I, I hope you feel a little better having, you know, got it out there and yeah. got, got a little more public. Uh, and yeah. it's, it's another step, uh, you know, towards doing the right thing for, for Dara, yeah. and uh, we hope it works out well for you and that you'll find that closure uh, and some ability to move on. 
Absolutely, yeah. Thanks a million. Thanks, Kelly. Appreciate it. Cheers. Take Thank care. you. Bye. Thanks. Bye bye. Coming up on 12 minutes to 11 now. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And especially yesterday, alongside the hotels, the hospitality industry kind of reopened with the al fresco buzz that we're all talking about now. And in the spirit of rebirth and the phoenix rising from the ashes, I wanted to drop in on Donald from the Dutch Tulip which is reopening in Mallow. Morning, Donal. Hi, how are you? Very good. You now, you have got, you, you've got a very prominent um, stand, if you like. They call it the site, the stand, because uh, anybody going from Cork to Limerick will have passed the property on the main roundabout as you go on, on, on the Mallow Bypass. It was called what? The Arch? Was it not the Arch? Is it the... Uh, no, it's uh, the Roundabout Inn, yeah. The Roundabout Inn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I've often had it. There was a really, really decent lunch there, but then there was a fire. Yeah, that's right. Um, there was a fire there in 2017. Um, there was a fire that was, was badly damaged inside the, the restaurant side of it. Mm-hmm. And um, so we just we just purchased it before before Christmas on December. And um, we just it does, it does, does a lot of work that into it now at this stage to get it to get it up and running. Sorry, I don't want to get up running. Um, the we, we so it does, does a wine bar, cocktail bar. Um, open plan kitchen and just 26, 26 bedrooms. Yeah, because it, it, it's that kind of location. And I know that the motorways and, and you know, the main thoroughfares are dotted with all of these convenient service stations. There's one at the opposite end of the bypass to you. Uh, but you're That's on, you're on yeah. the crossroads there between your, you're on the uh, Mallow to Cork Road and also at the roundabout for the Mallow to Killarney Road and Mallow Racecourse and, and yeah. all of that. And places like yours, uh, for instance, in the past, 30 years ago, do you remember the Blue Dragon in Kilworth? Yeah, you, sure you yeah, couldn't go to Cork, uh, from Cork to Dublin without calling in there, or if you did, you'd have to call in on the way back. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's absolutely, it's a fantastic location. Like, you know, we, we put, um, we were actually developing a big um, beer garden there at the moment. So it would be, as, as you come in, you'll be able to see from the Cork site. So there'll be seating about 160 people. Brilliant, okay, and then you're going to need that, of course, in the next three, three and a half weeks before you can open inside. Yeah, 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 so it is, um, so that could be the first renault, so where we have power connection is coming um, tomorrow, so we're hoping then to, to what's called it, to... Um, kind of to soft launch. Maybe, yeah, we're, we're hoping to open the beer garden first, maybe in the 15th, we're not quite sure yet, so we're, we're launching the website on Saturday. How many do you hope um, to employ, Donald? Um, at the moment, oh, we have those 28, which we have confirmed that we're employing at the moment. Um, but we, when it's all up and running, we're, we'll be close to 50, 50 staff. Right, okay. Uh, and I have to ask you, the name, the Dutch Tulip, where did that come from? I tell you where it came from. No, there, was, um, there was a girl I met with, she's a 19-year-old girl, Shauna Murray, and she's in college doing um, web design. So I told her, I said, that, look, I'm looking for a name that relates to me or... You know, related to anything locally, we wanted a name that can travel, you know, because um, I'm in talks now at the moment of opening another one in Limerick and in Dublin, you know, so we're looking to, to, to expand these further, you know, the, the Dutch tulip, you know, so she, she, she came up with this presentation and there was a lot of different names and that was the one that was just... Okay, so really it's, it's not so much the name of the Mallow venue, but more the name of a brand you're going to grow, is it? Yes, yeah, yeah. So I'm, we're in talks now. We, we got a lot of attention now from, from different locations you know, where people are asking us to see what we open and things like that. But I suppose my time is limited at the moment, you know, because I, I'm looking at a place in America and Dublin at the moment, you know, where we can kind of 
expend from there, you know. You must be a wealthy uh, man, don't you? I, I don't know about that. <laughs> but it's, um, it's, it's just, no, I, I'd be big into the, the, the franchise inside of it. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to, we're building a hub, I suppose, in, in Mano, where we have a such a good location, you know, but we're just trying to set high standards where we can just kind of Franchise it out then, is it? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Look for different locations, you know. But we're we're, we're kind of the, the, the inside of it. We it's completely bright and and it's very modern, you know. And everything is going to be table service from start to finish. You know, that's the one thing the, with the open tank kitchen. It's all going to be table service, the drinks, and even I know it's a lot of table service at the moment. But we're hoping to continue with this throughout, you know. Yeah, because it's going to be a long time before the pubs, as we knew them, will be back as as we knew them. Could take a number of years. Yeah, but uh, look, the pub the pub trade is changing. Like, you know, I, I can foresee changing. You know, um, people expect to be you know stuff you brought to the tables and that extra service. You know what I mean? Like the rooms, even I thought we're, we're, we're kind of we've done a high quality job in the rooms. You know, and we're just kind of bringing how many rooms are there? Like, Twenty six rooms. Oh, it's a big, oh, yeah, it's, that's a big amount of it. That's, that's hotel, sort yeah, of. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll we get a hotel license it. there. Yeah, yeah, um, but we're keeping it at a, at a flat rate of 80 euros for two people sharing, and then for three people in the big rooms is 100 euros, and that's it. That's, very, that's very reasonable, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, but like, it, it's, well, I, I, I made that at the start, you know, that's not to be, um, we just wanted to kind of, I suppose, to give it quality and, 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 and at a good price as well, you know. Yeah, and where, where are you from originally, Donald? Uh, Liscal. Okay, yeah. North Cork. So, North Cork, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, well, look, all we can do is wish you the very best. As I say, it's kind of, sort of Phoenix from the Flames. You've got a great spot. It did burn down. It was, if I may say so, maybe a little dated uh, and maybe needed a little bit of, uh, of of doing up, but I'm sure that's going to be taken care of now. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It, it, it's in a great, great location, you know. Um, it, 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 it's, it's what you call it. Um, I know we're really, really excited. We're excited for really and truly what's to follow, follow after this, you know. Yeah, le- um, leave us know when you do open for the first customers and we'll give it a, a shout out for you, okay? I will. I will. Uh, you, you, didn't, you didn't quite make the opening yesterday, but you're on the way. It's in the post. A couple no, of weeks. No, we're on the way. We're on the way indeed. Donald, very best of luck yeah. and uh, watch out for it. You heard it first here. The big brand, one of the biggest brands in the world is coming, starting in Mallow and it's going to be called a Dutch tulip. Thanks a million, Donald. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye-bye. Now, it's two and a half minutes to 11 o'clock. We have news at 11 on the way on the Neil Prandeville Show and then the final hour of the programme. Back to your calls and comments. Keep them coming on 0868 106 by text and by call. You can uh, call us on 1850-104-106. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best and newest names in Irish music. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Eight minutes past 11. This is Mick Mulcahy. And we have dozens of texts I need to get through because they're just building up. Uh, the show generates quite an amount of texts. So I met the guys from Dancing with the Stars and got a buddy in trouble for posting a photo of myself with Nancy Delolio on Facebook at 4am. Uh, his wife went mental. She thought we were out uh, not up to much good. I met Georgie Best in the sound store, says Roseanne Dennehy. I was at Dennis Irwin's testimonial where I got, uh, where I got to meet Kevin Moran. Uh, he said uh, to me, did you get out of that limo? I got out of a rust bucket minibus. He was sound out though. I met Christy Moore after the marquee. He's a legend. We were with Wacker and John Spillane, says Frick. Uh, I met Henry Cooper, the boxer, walking his dog in London. Uh, I met Gary Kemp from Spandau Ballet on the Tube in London and Freya Riding from Castles. 
However, my husband has met Callum Best, Miss Dynamite and Adele. Uh, he met her at a gig. She had come down from London to Essex uh, to watch a band that was playing. He was chatting away to her, not thinking she was anyone special. And then our daughter walked into the venue and almost passed out. She saw her dad was chatting to Adele. LOL, says Monica. <clears throat> I met John Lydon, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten, at a book signing in London. The security said only the book was to be signed and warned me as I got a Sex Pistols album out. John wasn't having any of it. He said, I'll sign what I want. I found out sometime after that that we shared the same godmother. Uh, wow, that's you share the same godmother as Johnny Rotten, uh, Sean Gordon. I live in Churchtown in North Cork. I met Alex Higgins when he called to the door looking for directions to Oliver Reed's house. Oliver Reed lived just a mile away from us. I'd say that was some party that night. Uh, we met Ian Glenn, a.k.a. John Mormon in Galway. While he was shooting a movie, got our photo taken with him. I met Tyson Fury in Harrods in London, says a texter. Uh, we're married 25, uh, 29 years, and we met Paul McGrath and his partner in Disney World in Orlando, says Margaret in Douglas. Another uh, texter has met Sigourney Weaver in Paris. Another has met Jim Bartley, Bella Doyle in Fair City in the West Lodge in Bantry. Another one met Finbar Fury in Killarney. Uh, my mum's second cousin is Jonathan Rhys Myers. We haven't yet met, though, but she has. Uh, I lived a few doors away from Ken Doherty. He was a true gent, says Roisin. I met Jeremy Irons and Graham Norton in Skibbereen, says Joe. I was meters from Phil Collins. I got a wink from him. That was the best of them all. Uh, and of course, our own Kino. I used to serve him takeaway in McCurtain Street, says Pam, the taxi driver. I met Ronan Keating and his dad and sister in Silver Springs. Uh, I met Cliff Richard on Oliver Plunkett Street on the 11th of June when he was playing in the Marquee. Uh, and just a couple more. I make up in working hotels for many years, and that, in that time I've met, <clears throat> here we go, Shane McGowan, Moby, the fun-loving criminals, Van the Man Morrison, Jeremy Irons, Mary Black, Vincent Brown, Brendan O'Carroll, and all the cast of Mrs. Brown's Boys Stage Show at the time. I also met Mr. Pussy, the Coors, and a whole lot of other people I just can't remember now says Paul. Uh, I was at Michael Flatley's wedding in Formoy. I was the last to shake hands with him before the ceremony, said John in McCroom. To line six and to uh, Elizabeth Hayes. Hi, Elizabeth. Oh, uh, yeah. How are you? I'm good. Uh, no, you're living in Dominic Street. Dominic Court on Dominic Street. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I am, yeah. Okay, so t- tell us your story. I tell you what, uh, we're living in a courtyard uh, at the moment and right next to the house where I live, there's bins, or the bins are placed next to the house. But at the weekend, my sister was coming into the house and while she was coming in, there was a big yoke, a big tin in the middle of the, where in front of the house by the bins, there was a big, huge, a big, huge rat that she took a picture of and all that, whatever. But they're going into the side of the house where there's a gap between my house and the wall. So they're actually living in the bottom between my house. So I, there could be mice and there could be rats all over the area, like you know. So is this an is this an adjoining wall between two terraced houses, yeah. or is there a gap, like a little yeah, laneway? Kind of it, like there's a um, different. The houses are kind of separated between each other, like you know. Okay. So, uh, like we're my neighbour next door has been onto the council, I think, a number of times. And my sister has been on to them for me as well, complaining and saying about the rats and the mice in there. I was on to them again not long ago, saying like that my back is, uh, my cupboards in the kitchen are, for, are being at the walls are being at the back by the mice. You can see where they're eating through the walls and all that. And they were meant to get somebody to come up, but nobody's coming near the house 
I know if it's coming to do any of the work or anything that needs to be done in the area because of this COVID-19 uh, problem at the moment. Like, nobody's doing anything for us, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, construction is, is ongoing and necessary maintenance must be, you know, that must there's be okay. Like that. There's, nothing, there's nothing where I am at the moment going on. We're on to them. Like, there's people live, there were, were the, there's people there with kids. The kids can't go out and play in the courtyard because there's of the mice and the rats in the area, like, you know. And were you telling Brenda that the rats are the size of cats, some of them? There's huge, the size. I sent a picture on to someone that I was talking to about the weekend mm-hmm. on your side, and they're big enough, like, you know. So where do you go from here? Can you not get in a, maybe a private pest controller? Well, we could, like, you know, but we don't know what, what, what the situation in that area is, like, you know. We, were, we could do something, like, you know, but we could put stuff down on but we can't do anything at the moment because we could put poison down and try and get boxes, the trap boxes and all that, whatever. But like there's cats in the area too, so we have to be very careful with and the other, with them as well. Yeah, okay. Because I know that Martin Geary has been a very good friend to the programme and I've been on and he's got a pest eradication company. Maybe we could get Martin to have right. a look at it for you. Yeah, that's grand, yeah. It's just that there's nobody listening to us, like, you know? And like with the bins there and everything, like it's, if that's what's causing this as well, like, you know. And plus, there's a lot of furniture parked in the corner of the courtyard as well, like, you know. Yeah, but the, the, the wheelie bins shouldn't be an issue if they're sealed properly, if they're closed properly, unless they're overflowing. They'll be overflowing, the see, because there's other people using the bins that's reusing the bins. So the rats get into the bins. We, we, we have been on about the bins a long time ago, and we said about other people coming into the courtyard because the gates are open. And the locks are broken on the gate so people can walk in. And uh, there has been a few people that came in with cars and with their rubbish into the bins as well that we confronted. And they, they didn't listen to us, you know. We are good with them, so we're not getting anywhere at this point with anybody, like, you know. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, like, there's no point of us, like, we're trying to clean the courtyard. We're trying to do what we can do. And still, like, you know, we, we're going out there and we're trying to do, do things to keep the place clean and all that. And it's still not, it's not, still not getting anywhere, like, you know. Okay. Don't know where you're going to go from here unless you get in a private contractor uh, to have a look yeah. at the problem. Like, we are getting onto them again. Like, I know next door, my neighbour has been going over there and getting onto them, and he has the same problem, like, that I have. And all they're saying is they're taking your name, they're taking your phone number, your address, and they're saying that they get somebody in touch with you, but we're not getting nobody's, nobody's phone and they're coming in the place. And the rats are getting bigger. They're, they're huge rats now like I never said a size of them in my life I thought I might but not the size of them OK well uh, Seamus from the Neil Prendival show production team has contacted the council earlier on your behalf and uh, let's see if there's anything we can uh, do to move along uh, well, I'm that appointment because, like, it's just not fair like, to be living like this as well like, you know? like I'm afraid to go to sleep at night time because I'm afraid in case they're around the house or anything like that I'm, 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 I don't sleep well over it like, you know? and you, you have evidence of mice already in the kitchen if there's mice, there's going to be rats, I guess. Already, I have evidence of mice in the kitchen where, um, that, that they have been in the house, which I'm after clear, I'm at, I can't use the, the bottom cupboards because they're eating at the back of the cupboards. There's a little hole and they're really able to get in, so I, I can't use some of my cupboards because of that problem. So I'm after putting down, um, I got um, a, a rat tin, something like a tin that you plug in that keeps trying to keep them out. It's a noise, they, they hear some noise and and it's, I don't think it's even working, to be honest with you, like, you know. Yeah, I, I have one of them, don't know if it, it's been on for years, it's, so I don't know if it's working uh, or not. 
it's just a kind of a ping like thing. It's kind of ultrasonic sound. Keeps them away. Yeah, it's something like that, yeah. Like, I have one of those jokes, and I have that plugged in, like, in the kitchen, and all that. I even got a cat in the house thinking it would help them out the problem, and it's not even helping nothing at this point. Like, the cat is going to be in the cooker, right? She's here or something. She's watching everything, like, you know, but it's not catching anything. And not it's catching not, anything you know. yet. Okay. So, do you know? All right, let's see where it goes, Elizabeth. Thanks a million. Thanks very much. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. That's right, uh, Elizabeth Jeff, Hayes right. in Dominic Court in uh, Dominic Street. Now, before we go back to our phone lines, uh, this uh, email I wanted to read out. Hi, Mick. Have you tried to book a holiday here in Ireland for two weeks in a hotel? All I can say is shame on the vast majority of hotels here. Yet again, the idea of the greedy Irish taking advantage of their own pops up its ugly head. How can the hotels charge the price they are charging, uh, even for a week you would have almost a month in Spain for the same price. That's your flights, your food and drinks, plus guaranteed sun. All I can say is that we know the Spanish don't pay great wages to their employees, but when you look at what the Irish hotels pay their employees, I still can't understand how they can charge so much. You'd really want to be loaded to have a two-week staycation here in Ireland. But I think because they can get this money from wealthy Americans, they think the Irish people can pay the same money. I think I heard on the news there's about €3 billion sitting in Irish bank accounts since the start of the pandemic. Well, can you tell the bigger hotels that money must belong to the wealthy Americans waiting to holiday in Ireland? For basic B&B in hotels in the Kerry area, this is without any evening meals for a husband and wife. In my opinion, the price is nothing short uh, of them putting their hands in your pocket and robbing you blind. I'm all for supporting Irish, uh, but when they can do stuff like this, it drives me crazy. Uh, prices seem to be two to three times more than they were pre-pandemic. Johnny Bongos is on line one. Hiya, Johnny. Hello there. How are you? Where did you get the name Johnny Bongos? I've heard of you before. Mike, you're doing a fantastic job. Well done, sir. Thanks a million, Johnny. Tell um, us about the name first. Uh, I got the name there, uh, Mick, years and years and years ago and I used to play sessions like, you know, there were a lot of Johnnies and Johns and Tom's and all in the band, you know. And one of them used to call me uh, Bongo John, so they changed to Johnny Bongos. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that'll stick for life. Yes, indeed. Uh, it's uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a, well, a well-known name, thank God, you know, so thanks for the God. And how, how are you keeping, sir? I'm sure not too bad. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of another Johnny I, I used to know. He was called Johnny Bo Peep. He was called that after being caught in a compromising position. So we just, we, shall we just leave it there? Uh, yes, indeed. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you met Elton John's band. Yeah, I met Elton John's band the first time they came over to uh, Ireland to play in the Marquis in Cork, uh, Mick, you know. And basically, I was, I was playing Conan's every Sunday with a band called Arundel. That was with John and Kevin Byrne. And um, apparently... I, they came in to hear the show, you know, and I I play a lot of um, percussion instruments plus a drum and drum over the years as well, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, so they they asked me after what kind of percussion instruments I was using, so it's the baron, the spoons, the jimbies, and the the timbales, the cahoon, you know, and then uh, so they asked me will I go to the Clarion Hotel the following day and give them private lessons for a couple of hours, you know, okay, and. So my, my biggest idol of drummers is uh, Stuart Copeland from the police and also Roger Taylor, you know, from Queen. That's who I studied when I was going to school and college and stuff, you know. Right. Excuse me. So, up to the hotel, lo and behold, there was Stuart Copeland with the lads as well. So I told Oh, drummer with the police. Yeah, they were all connected. See, Mike, they were all connected from LA, you know, they were all connected. That's John Madden's crew, you know, the percussions and drums and sure. so on and so forth. So I showed them how to play the 
ball on, they couldn't master it like an old, but um, John Matten, the percussion player, did master it like an old, but Stuart was excellent on the spoons, you know, he was good, you know, and the gym business club. Stuart so, Copeland is an amazing percussionist. He's absolutely unbelievable. He see, he was amazed with the percussion style, you know, the Bowen especially, you know what I mean? So yeah. Sp- speaking so, of speaking of that, I was talking to Kieran Goss once many years ago, uh, yeah. and uh, we were talking about uh, a drummer actually called Dave Early who died, and he died yeah. he died at a young age and, and was was being yeah. heavily mourned yeah. at, at the time. But I I asked him about some percussionists. Uh, or some percussion instruments he had on the uh, written on the back of his album, uh, and they were called the Kosangas, right? Uh, yeah. K O S A N G A S, Kosangas. And I said, yeah. I've never heard of that before. Can you tell me about the Kosangas? And he said, Mick, it's a Kosen gas bottle. <laughs> Kosen gas, not Kosangas. Yeah, you, you can use anything because when I was recording years ago, there were bands and stuff, we'd get a particular sound, I'd buy it in the briefcase and it filled it up with, with rice. And we got the exact sounds, you know. So, what we want to, you, you, could, you can use that to get your imagination, really, Mick, you know. Mm-hmm. you know. So, but getting back to Ed and John, so I taught him the whole lot, you know, I taught him. And next thing I was, I was away to the concert, the whole lot, with great time the concert. And we kept in contact. And the second time they came around to Cork, uh, John got sick, he got clots in his legs, you know, he got very sick. Mm-hmm. And uh, he contacted me to uh, go up and see him in the hospital, so... That's in the COH, there was a lot of activity there, press and the whole lot, you know. So I brought him up scones and teachers and stuff, you know, and the whole lot, and his entourage were there. And uh, the, the third time they came to Dublin, they invited me up to uh, the O2, yeah, up to O2 to have dinner with them backstage and the whole lot, and, and uh, Ed and John invited me into his, um, into his suite and, and thanked me personally for them for the drummers and stuff, you know. But they were all connected, so. They were my albums, they were my singles. Wow, isn't there a great yeah. sense of normality about famous people and famous musicians when they're, when they're just on downtime? Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, they have to deal with hordes of screaming fans and unwanted attention and paparazzi all the time. But when you really get under there, you know, when you get into behind the scenes with them, uh, and yeah. I've, been with, I've been with a few, a few famous people in my time, they're just absolutely yeah. Yeah. normal. They're normal, just like yourself and myself, make normal people normal times, like, you know, but they're very successful. I was speaking to Elton John, he doesn't shake hands or anything like that, you know. Uh, he just speaks very, very droll, very quiet, and he thanked me very much. And I just said to Elton, congratulations to you, what you're doing, what you're doing, what you're doing with, your, with, with your music and stuff like that. He said, Johnny, he said, that's, the, that's, that's my life, he said, you know, that's all I do, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I taught Neil as well. How good, how good Neil, Prendable as well, our famous Neil. I taught Neil there. What did you teach him? The spoons? Yeah, the spoons. And you're next now, Mick. You're next now, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't hit a barn your door with a banjo. <laughs> yeah, we don't next. But it uh, was great. Like, it was great experience. And, and I send them on my albums and stuff. And um, the last thing, the last album, but I don't know, with, um, with Owen Turner and myself, we got our new album last year. And we sent one to uh, LA, taught, uh, about 13 of them, and apparently Slash, his guitar player, Guns N' Roses, had one as well, you know? Yeah. They're, they're all, you'll see, they're all connected, Mick, you know? That's right, it's a, it's a small industry as such, you know? Very, very small industry. It was, they were great times, like, but um, when his last concert now comes up now, when, uh, when this pandemic is finished, you know, they're, they're doing a farewell tour, so I'm invited to that as well, you know, when they go to Ireland. Okay. I'm invited to that as well. And... So, but um, 
that's that's the way I know Mick. It was great. It was a great experience, you know. Yeah, and and, and on the subject of famous people, uh, Daniel uh, Craig, James Bond, uh, drinks yeah. drinks in a in a buddy of mine's pub in New York, right? And he's absolutely as normal as possible, unless you oh, say normal. something stupid to him, like shake and not stir it or something like yeah. Mr. Bond, as if he's never heard that before, you know. Yeah, he'll I talk know, all, all know, night to you about soccer. Just yeah, just 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 just, just amazing, like because they're just so down to earth, Mick, you know. And Mick, could I wish I had done and, and uh, the Dutch tulip, the very best tulip at the opening as well, Mick, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's a nice you one know. to pick on today, isn't it? Because it's it, it really okay. is. You know, he's he's not even yeah. ready to be open, so no, it's it's no, great no, that no, he's no, putting yeah. that investment in and, and employing yeah. twenty eight and up to fifty people. Exactly. Uh, in the exactly. end, and I think it's 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 nice to remind people when it does open, there's a place to stop and support. Yeah, I mean, like when you're talking there about uh, famous people being involved in this country, the world Ireland to uh, promote Ireland, right? I look what they have bought for us. I look to us, like, you know, they destroyed us, Mick, you know? They what do you mean? Us. The music and the bands and outside, outside, you know? Oh, well, it's it's ridiculous. There's buskers playing in the street and, and, and organised, socially distanced musicians can't play in the open no. air. No, we, we've been moved down, like, you know, but I believe, Mick, it does a... It does a protest in Cork in the twenty third. I'm not sure, but if you don't mind me um, using your platform, if if there's anybody organising anything in the Cork area for the twenty third of June, would they contact me, please, through Facebook, if possible, you know? Because it's a pure disgrace, Mick. You know, just just. How do they contact you on Facebook through Johnny Bongos? Is it Johnny Bongos? Yeah, Johnny Bongos on Facebook or Instagram. Johnny, did yeah. you know? Did you know my late buddy Ted Dunn? Because Ted would have celebrated a birthday yesterday, and I didn't want to let because we weren't working yeah. yesterday. The bank holiday. Uh, he was lovely, Ted. I, I knew Ted like for years. Like you know, Ted like uh, Ted gets uh, supposed and the waiting comes in now and they're looking for trap musicians. He has my he always have my number and Ted will always give me a buzz. Like you know, Johnny, what are you doing Saturday? I said Ted, I'm off Saturday. Going out to Kinsale, go down to Galway. Ted always had my number. Ted always thought about me, like, you know, he always thought about us. Like, but you're, you're not the only one saying that. There's people very, very no. badly affected by Ted's passing. Uh, yeah, you know, and, I, and it's, I, it's I, only, it's you only, you only realise when he's gone. Uh, yeah, myself and Ted yeah. had a had a thirty year friendship, and we wouldn't speak no. to each other from one one end of the year to the next. We didn't need to. Yeah, um, yeah it's the same then with all the musicians. I know, like the. You had Jamie Stanton there. He was on no business opening Cove there. He That's right. Pal in Cove. I'm to wishing the best look, you know. I was speaking to, to, to Jamie there a few weeks back, like, and I was speaking to Juice as well, all the bands, you know, you've Pat Pitts, you've all the amazing people there, like John Spillane, you've, you've everybody, Hank Waddell. I mean, we got destroyed, mix about 14 months after all, like, 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 the way things are going on tomorrow, I have to go back. I actually had to go back practicing at home, you know, half hour every second day just to loosen up, you know. If you were advising the government, uh, Johnny, and Michal Martin's in Cork today on an official visit, if he's listening, perchance, what's the road back? What would you see as the road back for the musicians? Leave us play outside right now and leave us to socially distance, responsible playing inside when you open up inside in three and a half weeks and and allow bands to play weddings again and bring up the the numbers allowed at weddings. If if Michal is listening, I'd like to wish him the best look, right? But if he's listening to the problem, I say, look, it doesn't any chance that you can leave us play outside in a nice area that people will be disturbed because the way both fart are talking, they want to know us sing or play because of their spitting, you know? Like, we're not lambs, like, we don't spit that much when we're singing and stuff like that. So I, I drove to, uh, to town on Saturday night just for research purposes. I had to take a, a spin in around the Keys. Uh, as I came around the Elysian from the, uh, the Link Road, it, I almost felt there was a gig on in the marquee or that there was a match yeah. on down yeah. the park. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, and I know everything was very good natured down there, and the guards were mingling yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But there was thousands on the keys. So why can't musicians play outdoors, for God's sake? Exactly, I can't understand them, because, like, I mean, this is going to be a lovely weekend here and all, like, and I'm talking, and I want to wish every musician and every band and every genre that's listening to, to me and yourself, your good self, and thank you for having me on here. I want to wish them all the best of luck. We just got to get out there, do our best, because we've been locked in now for 14 months, and, like, the summer's going to slip by me. Then it's going to come into our winter, like, you know, so we're going to be stranded. We're going to be stranded for another few months, you know? Yeah, you got to make it now to get through the winter. you gotta, you got to start making it now, because, like, like, if I play next week, no, we're going to funk on the play next week. I have no show planned. I have nothing planned. I have no, we, I have no roadmap. We're all in the same boat. We have no roadmap. We need... And did you have access to any of the, the payments, like the pop and that kind of thing? No, no, because... No, 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 me. No, no, no. I'm okay now. I think God, you know, so... And, you know, you know so... We, 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 my, my, our family, if I drive, I want payments and stuff, you know? Okay. So. All right, Johnny. Listen, all the best. And leave us know if the if if that protest is is being more cohesively organised, and we can give it some publicity. Yeah, if, for if, you. if somebody if somebody can get on to me or get on to your good self, and uh, Mick, thanks for having me, and thanks to Mark and Eva, you're doing a fantastic job, and well done, Louis Tarsh, after all these years, Michael. Thanks, Johnny. God bless you, Slana. Thanks, now the great Johnny Bongos. Now, by the power of modern technology, uh, this came in sixty seconds ago to my phone. Hi, Mick. I'm listening to you in my truck. I'm heading to Gloucester, Massachusetts for work. Uh, please say hi to my mum and dad, Kay and Mick Forrest, and all the McGrorties in Cove, and all our friends, and that's from Mike, uh, Forrest, Michelle, and the kids. Heading to Gloucester, Massachusetts, and listening to Cork's Red FM in his truck. It's uh, 11.30 now on the button. The Neil Prenderville Show, on Twitter, at Neil Red FM. And you can call the program on 1850104106, text us on 0868104106, or email neil at redfm.ie to line two, and uh, let's talk to Mick, who has a solution, we believe, for a Elizabeth's rat issue. Good morning, Mick. How are we doing, Mick? Good and yourself? Yeah, not too bad at all, no. How would you get rid of rats? <clears throat> right, there's one way, is that if there's anybody listening that has ferrets, Mick, right? Okay. You get a bit of ferret bedding, they might be sleeping alone, jumping out, a bit of blanket or whatever, but get a bit of the ferret bedding and put it on where you think they're, they're coming in. The rats will smell it, the ferret. They won't know that the ferret's not there, but they'll ah. take it as soon as they smell them. Okay, because the ferrets are a predator for the rats, are they? Oh, they are, and as I said, if a rat smells a ferret, he's gone. Wow. So, until the problem is solved, if somebody could drop it on a bit of bedding to keep them out of the house anyway, throw it on with the hole under the cupboard, you know? Okay, now that's not something that everybody would have, so let's put the call out there. Who has ferret bedding that can help Elizabeth and put down the, the ferret bedding and solve the rat issue? Uh, well, she gets it sorted out properly, you know what I mean? And if the rats go, will the mice go, is that? Complete two different. Oh, was. Well, where where there's mice, there's no rats. That's that's the saying, like. Because Elizabeth seems to give them the impression that there, there's mice in her kitchen and there's rats outside. Well, the mice might be inside, so but the rats are out. Because okay. if the rats were inside, there'd be no mice. They'd eat them. <laughs> huh? Oh, you're you're quite an expert on this. Is that what happens? Would do rats eat mice? Oh, they would. Right. Okay. I suppose rats would eat anything. The rats can eat their way through metal and concrete. They, well, they, I remember no, I was walking down the main drainage, Mick, and it was down in um, facing the capital cinema there when it was there. The boys were digging up and came across the nest of rats. And what the rats were after doing was eating the head of the young rats. All the young rats, their heads were missing. So they, eat, a good one. they eat their own? Yeah, they ate the heads of the young rats and they were gone. 
Yeah, they they say the only thing that'll stop rats if is if you break up into very very fine pieces. So you you do this in a maybe in a tea towel that you then throw away, but break glass in, into very very fine pieces with a hammer or a sledgehammer, and uh, mix the very sharp little little fragments of of glass into concrete, uh, and then the rats uh, they'll eat through concrete, but they won't eat through that. They will throw into a bit of mince. <laughs> you know what I mean? Isn't throwing a little ball of mince sold in the mess out? I mean, well, you that, mean, that's a slow death from me. You mean poison mince? Well, the glass alone, the mince will kill him eventually. Mm-hmm. We caught all the inside of them. But oh, oh, sorry, the glass in the mince? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that could be dangerous for other animals too, though, wouldn't it? Oh, you'd have to make sure to just the rats like yeah. this now. Okay. Ferret bedding. What? I said. Ferret no, bedding. Not a thing that we've ever talked about. You sent me home mountains in town there later on, didn't he? He's an, on an official visit today, yeah? Is he? Well... Mihal Martin knows about this now, and so do another few of them, right? And I'm trying to get out there. Mihal Martin's only provisional Taoiseach. No, he's and a fully-fledged Taoiseach. He's not. They're only provisional, mate. The House of Deiroptus is a corporation by royal descent imposing the Southern Irish people. Look that up now. It's not Doyle Aaron. Doyle Aaron sat in um, the mansion house. It never sat in Leinster House. That's the difference. So give me exactly what, what it is again. Doyle Aaron only ever sat in the mansion house. And Doyle Aaron, Doyle is the Irish for assembly, make right? Mm-hmm. And Aaron is Ireland. So it's the assembly of Ireland. And that was a 32 county mandate. Legitimate mandate. In the house of the Eroptus, there's only 26 plebiscite. And as I said, the Eroptus, they're all crown agents. There's a corporation. But that goes back to citizens, make right? Right, we're sovereign flesh and blood people, right, living people. We all mounted and might go back to backward notion of sovereignty. But we have to because it's the people of sovereign, Mick. Not a corporation. And when they say a citizen, Mick, right? Mm-hmm. A citizen is a legal fiction entity. So your name in all capital letters, right? Where you have to abide by their rules, regulations, and statutes and acts. But an example is that when they give out citizenship, Mick, right? Okay. Do you know what that is? Tell me. Right. Citizen is an invitation for sovereign flesh and blood people from other nations. Everyone in the world is born sovereign. But they invite sovereign people from other nations to come in and say, we'll give you Irish citizenship. But what they're actually saying is that, come in, we'll take a thousand euro or whatever off you, and we'll give you Irish citizenship. But they regard, they regard the landmark as a ship, right? Yeah, I, I, I know we operate under maritime law. Yeah, but that's what it is. They, they recognise the land as a ship. So when they give out citizenship, they're saying, come in, give us a thousand euro, you're on the ship, you'd have to buy by our rules, laws, regulations, statutes, acts. They're actually paying to be enslaved. Okay. This, Believe it or not. That's a huge topic, and it's, a lot of it is new on me, so I'm going to have to leave it there. But I'd love to uh, talk to somebody illegally on that. Uh, oh, maybe yeah. get, maybe get mean, some clarity on it. We'll have to get out there, because look, the propaganda lies and deception has to end. There's no genocide going on today, Believe it or not. And people can't see it. So something will have to be done, all right, like. All right. We'll there's, about time, there's about time the Irish people stood up for themselves and claimed back what's lawfully ours, Mick. Okay. It's not belonged to any corporations or anything. The land, sea, and airspace has belonged to the sovereign Irish people and to them alone, who each generation owes in trust for the next. I, I was talking to an oil man over the weekend. He said, Ireland, they're the only country in the world to discover huge reserves of oil and turn out poorer after it. But that's another story. Right. Mick, thanks he a million. Is, but, Thanks a lot. Let's go to line one. Thanks a million. Let's go to line one and Daniel. Hi, hi, Daniel. 
Oh, yeah, all things, all things back. Not too bad in yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Why not too bad? No. I was freaking up there. I was one talk there about the city over the weekend there. I was fucking the, up by the keys there. The people up there drinking there. The rubbish left up there is disgraceful. Like. Yeah, there's a lot of rubbish left there. And, and people tend yeah, not to take their rubbish away. And there's, there's a lot no, of plastic. No. There. Now it's cleaned up every well, day. Um, what I'm going is if they put bins up there now, maybe. Like, do you know what I mean? Maybe but people be more like to put the rubbish in the bins in. But there's nothing up there. Yeah, but I, I thought the keys were going to be fenced off for the weekend, and it, it's it's almost as if they powers that be said it's no point. The pubs are opening again on Monday. No, the pubs are open. Like, sure, but, but with the nice weather, all people are still going to be outside drinking. Like, I didn't see anything fenced off down there at the weekend, Daniel. There was no, a boat. There no. was a boat fenced off. All right, that's about it. Yeah, exactly. Like, but like, sure, they're on about putting these fences up there. Sure, what fences have gone up there? There's none up there. There's none up there now. No, exactly. Like, and they put out these things. Like, they put putting put things up there. Like, sure, they put fences up there. They're gonna be ripped back down there by all the young people again, anyway. Yeah, did you, did you see that happened? Uh, that happened in Dublin, where they were. Uh, was it? Oh, I did. Uh, one of the bandstands or something. I did. It's disrespectful as well for the people that are doing doing all the walk up there. Like, but so how, how do you think it's going to look at like next weekend? Now, will all of the people who are congregating on the keys think, you know, this is great crack? We we'll keep doing this, or will they all assimilate into pubs in different areas? Well, a few of them go down to the pubs now, but well, sure, once the pubs close now, that's where they'll be going again. Straight back down there with the weather, like, to show this lovely heat out there now at the moment. Like, yeah. so you, you can never be so sure, but I, I thought I drove past a certain element of underage down there as well. That must be great crack for them to say, we, we can we can mix oh. in here with, with the with the overage people. and then Well, yeah, sure. There's, no, there's too many people down there for the guards to be kicking them all away, like, you know. Uh, what I saw now was early, about 9.30 on Saturday night. What I saw was... Uh, a lot of good fun and a lot of good nature uh, and even guards who were smiling and uh, engaging with people and that's good. Now I know there was baton oh. charges in Dublin, right? Um, yeah, I know. And, and you know, when you see a thousand people on South William Street uh, really, really getting into the crack uh, and up close, cheek and jowl with each other and, uh, you know, a family of six or four can't sit out and have a meal. Uh, well, they couldn't uh, until Monday anyway. I'm just wondering, like, there's, there's a lot of inequity there. There is there's a lot of it up there, like but like sure, sure there's a lot of people there all trying to enjoy themselves. But after two major drinks, then that's when that's when all the trouble ended up be starting. Like you know, mm-hmm. they run the nights like, and sure like there's y- younger people down there now, like like families stuff out for their walks, and sure like they're only being targeted then by all the younger people as well. Yeah, all right. You know? So a, a, a disgraceful condition the city was left in on the Saturday and Sunday mornings. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you, I think obviously think more needs to be done with bins and stuff like that up there. Maybe was, was there anyone on the keys last night with the with the pubs doing outside hospitality? I wonder. Oh, I've been a clue now. I didn't see the keys now last night, but I assume there was more people out there again last night. Like mm-hmm. there probably wasn't as many as there was over the weekend. But as I'd say, I'd say in the summer now, people won't want to be going to the pubs buying buying their drinks like so they'd be out, out spending less money in the keys like do you know. Ah, oh, they will. Yeah. All right, Daniel. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. Mate. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye bye. It's coming up on uh, 18 minutes to 12. Seamus is on line six. Did somebody say Snoop Dogg? Seamus. <laughs> How are you doing? Good and yourself. You met Snoop, did you? I did about 15 years ago. Um, I just I was listening to your show the other day. It was interesting. I mean, the Jackson story was the ultimate, really. Like that. It's amazing I, to have a guy spend three yeah. weeks and then to hear this morning, uh, three months, um, Michael Jackson's driver was with him for three months. You know, there was a story actually just uh, funny enough about that as well. When uh, At some stage he was over and um, I think he was up in Dublin uh, with uh, his children a number of years back, a couple of years before he died. And he did a stop off. Um, there was the driver actually released the, the, the story obviously to the press. 
Um, it was in the, it made the newspaper at the time, one of the local papers up in Dublin. But um, yeah, he uh, he he stopped off at McDonald's on Colmore Road, I think it is, just off the next road in Dublin. Broad busy daylight, busy spot. I mean, it's just you couldn't write this stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Um, um, oh yeah, just I was, I was in Dublin Air Force uh, about fifteen years back, and uh, I think, uh, as far as I recall, um, I think Snoop had been—I could be wrong. Though, I thought he was banned from playing a gig in Ireland, or he was banned uh, in terms of getting uh, uh, taking a flight from taking a flight directly into the UK. Anyway, I was just coming through Dublin Airport back from the UK myself, and I was walking through, through the arrival lounge there in Dublin Airport. And as soon as I got past the the uh, the the, the, uh, the passport control check area, I walked all the way through. Like, and I just turned a corner and I just bumped into somebody's shoulder to shoulder. It was absolutely bizarre. But it was himself, Snoop Dogg, and there was a lot of other. You, guys, can, you can hardly guys, miss him. He's a big, tall, lanky guy. He's actually he's about. He looks about. I'm tall myself, but he's about. I think he was six one. Yeah, um, extremely skinny. Like, I mean, I was actually. Mm-hmm. I looked at him for a second. He just smiled, and then we just a small chit chat when I realised who he was because I was stunned I was like oh my god it's, it's actually <laughs> you know what What do you say and uh, he just laughed he apologised I apologised as well we just didn't see each other and then obviously the, 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 there was a, like an entourage of these really really big black guys um, with all of the, the cases and everything else and you knew straight up this guy's this is a, a, an artist or something. This is a big now. star, yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was kind of sort of the same. Like he's very, very gone in reality. Like I mean, uh, I mean, he looked to me like he was a little high enough. <laughs> um, he had the headsets on. These um, kind of like um, the Beats, the beats headsets, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He had them on. He took them off just to say apologise. Uh, said a quick hello. Uh, I didn't even ask for an autograph or anything. I was just kind of just trying to really um, surreal and bizarre to kind of bump something like that. It was just a small chit chat. As to where we were coming from and where we were going, and that was it. And then we went, and he was walking on ahead with his entourage. Like, but uh, we were standing a in, in a queue in Heathrow Airport one time, myself and my wife, and a guy yeah. turned around and he he thought he knew her, uh, and said, "Come this way, I've got a shortcut." And we got in the lift with with this guy. It was Billy Idol, right? And oh, well. I don't know did he realise he didn't know her or whatever, but we got the shortcut with him anyway. Oh, very good. These things can yeah. happen, you know. <laughs> They do, yeah. It's just it's, it's very it's bizarre. Like it's, it's kind of surreal, I suppose, when, when it does happen. I know when he went through, and um, there was a, a bit of a there was a bit of a fuffle, or you know, people were kind of um, realised. So I think there was some people. He walked through the arrivals lounge, like uh, where the general public goes. You know, you can imagine some of these celebrities they have their own exit areas from the private yeah. van onto a bus. But the actual bus, there, there was a bus parked outside, and uh, I could see it. And all of the, 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 the his crew were walking with him. Um, to the bus and as he walked out then people started to realise oh my god look it's actually Snoop Dogg so obviously they had to kind of you know yeah. I barricade the, the, the fans away from him like but uh, yeah he seemed alright there's he another high, there's another terminal Seamus in, in Dublin airport not many people know about it's called the North Terminal you know the big Terminal 1 and the big Terminal 2 as you're walking between one and the other on the, on the, on the kind of a walkway the glass walkway yeah. um you can actually see it uh, if you look carefully enough. It's just an old, uh, older building. It's called the North Terminal, and that's where all of the, uh, you know, Private. the celebrities yeah. will be taken out oh, to right, clear very customs. Good. I didn't and, realize, yeah, yeah. It's, there's a kind of a hangar over there. You might see the 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 the, 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 the tails of some jets, like 
yeah. know when you go to the, the multi-story there across the way like yeah man, I didn't realise actually maybe that's the area very good there's a friend of mine Pat Ford and I, I thought I had his number but we call him Mossy and if you're listening Mossy I'd love to talk to you on the programme about famous people that you've processed and met through Cork Airport because um, Pat handles all of the private jets uh, that, that, that come in and out and wow. so essentially he meets everybody coming off and greets them to Cork uh, and he's got uh, he showed me some pictures on his phone me, there, well here's me and Bill Clinton and here's me and Julia Roberts and here's me you know brilliant yeah, very good. what a job <laughs> brilliant Seamus thanks a million yeah not a bother thanks a million Take thanks care. cheers bye bye it's the Neil Prendeville show this is Mick Mulcahy it's a quarter to twelve the Neil Prendeville show on Cork's Red FM our phone lines remain open after midday 1850-104-106 coming up on 10 to 12 by text on 0868-104-106 hi Mick I was cabin crew with Gulf Air Swiss Air and was a cabin service manager for British Airways for over 20 years in total, starting working as crew in 1998. It was always a rush to see the passenger list for the Barbados and Maldives flights. I have had the privilege to be lucky enough to meet so many famous stars, footballers, politicians, actors, actresses, even had the royals on board. I found the bigger the star, the nicer the person. I found the Z list the most demanding, to be fair, and had the most outrageous demands and rudeness from them. I've literally seen everything on board over the years. I had to take redundancy a few years ago to look after my little girl, as couldn't be away from her for seven days at a time. The stories of some of these stars would shock you. I'd love to uh, speak to that person. I think uh, that uh, 20 years as a senior cabin crew, you're going to meet some really crazy interesting people. Hi Mick, I met Eric Cantona in 1997 in Silver Springs Hotel. He was in Cork for Brian McClare's testimonial year. I also met Steve Collins and Chris Eubank in 1993. Was that the year they fought in the Greenlands in, Milfeet, uh, in Mill Street? Uh, but anyway, I met them in Beamish and Crawford. Uh, thanks to Trevor Welch, he used to bring me along to press conferences to hold a camera uh, sort of thing, said uh, Mary Kent. Now to uh, line one and to Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Mick. How are you? Very good. You met Ronnie Whelan. I did, yeah. We were down in Ballybunion about four or five years ago and we were just inside in the hotel in Ballybunion having our dinner and my mother actually kind of noticed him first and then she was like, that's Ronnie Whelan. So we kind of went over then and he was all chatting. Like he was kind of after finishing up his dinner. So then he basically spent like 15, 20 minutes talking with us. He was lovely, real gentleman. Yeah, I inter- interviewed Ronnie Whelan and Ray Houghton. Uh, and I wouldn't be a huge fan of soccer. I love soccer, but I don't follow it heavily, you know what I mean? Uh, and so yeah. it was a bit, that was in the Commodore Hotel in Cove. It was a bit daunting to be interviewing such stars, especially, you know, when Ray Houghton got the ball and stuck it in the net. That famous goal that day was uh, a day, I, I think it just is a hallmark day. I remember being out in a boat uh, and I remember doing a gig that night in the Monster Arms Hotel in Bandon. There must have been three or 4,000 people uh, packed into it and uh, I remember playing We Are The Champions uh, as an English I'm going to play finish up with an English song and they all went boo and I said because they're not going to be using it tonight it's We Are The Champions the place went absolutely mental so I have a great affinity with that day uh, but I found Ray Houghton and Ronnie Whelan to be two of the absolute gentlemen you'd meet in your life yeah like he was totally and utterly down to art like and like my brother isn't big into sport either but like he was like Ronnie was talking to him about whatever like interest my brother has and everything like he was so down dark like he couldn't like like you said while ago the bigger the celebrities sometimes better yeah. than they are like yeah the bigger they are I remember Billy Conley saying that it's the the extremely wealthy uh, like so he, he knew Sir Hugh Fraser 
who owned uh, Harrods, for instance. And Sir Hugh Fraser would talk with the with the guys normally who were, you know, uh, maybe on the dole or unemployed or, you know, looking for work or something. And it's the kind of a, uh, the middle class wannabes who, who are neither. They're, they're not the poor and they're not the rich, but they're, they're the ones who really, really revile everybody, uh, turn everybody off because they're, you know, the social climbing element. But he found the very richest and wealthiest of people, the most normal to deal with those who didn't have so much. And the people in the middle were, were the ones that were difficult to deal with. But there you go. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. Ro- Ronnie exactly. Whelan, still a gentleman to this day. Thanks a million, yeah. Andrew. No worries. Thanks, Mike. Thanks a million. Now we're going to finish up with uh, Paul Byrne of Virgin Media News. Morning, Paul. Nice to talk to you again. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Now, a man in his 50s has been released from custody after being arrested in connection with the incident at the Harp Bar. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, Mick, um, this incident happened uh, sometime after 8 o'clock last night. There was uh, a gentleman in his mid-50s asked to leave the premises at uh, around that time. My understanding is that he returned around 30 minutes later armed with uh, what's believed to have been a knife. Now, the, he threatens the staff verbally and there was uh, some sort of row broke out and the man was taken down and brought to the ground and as he was being brought down um, a member of the staff was slightly injured. Thankfully, that person not needs to be taken to hospital um, and uh, just received a, a minor injury. The um, the suspect was uh, arrested. There was a large guard of presence at the Harp Bar last evening. He was arrested, taken to the Broidwell Garda station, questioned there for a number of hours before he was released and a file will be sent to the DPP uh, for consideration. Well, and that's kind of the first night of uh, open hospitality around the bars outside, so... Yeah, I suppose to put a dampener on things, um, you know, for, for the staff at the, at the Harp Bar. Uh, but look, thankfully, nobody was seriously injured and, um, you know, the, the person is uh, alive and well to tell the tale today, really. And that, oh. that's the, 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 the best results. And on Kilreen Downey Avenue, Paul, we had reports that there was a house petrol bombed. Yes, um, there was a, a couple in this house uh, sometime after midnight last night. Um, they were in the house at the time and a petrol bomb came through the front window. Luckily, the homeowner was able to uh, quench and put out the fire. Uh, there was no uh, nobody injured and the person um, called the emergency services. They attended the scene, but uh, the, the damage, as far as I'm aware now, has just been the really uh, a, fr- a broken window, minor damage inside. Uh, as I said, the homeowner was able to extinguish the fire. Thankfully, again, in this case, nobody injured, but obviously a very frightening experience for the homeowners who were there just uh, you know minding their own business, and suddenly a petrol bomb comes through the window. Not a nice experience. Must be extremely shocking and frightening, but thankfully, again, they escaped uninjured. So then that petrol bomb explode to your knowledge or did he manage to put it out before it exploded yeah yeah no it it did explode that's my understanding it did that it did explode and the homeowner was able to extinguish uh, the the fire before any uh, major substantial damage was caused Mm -hmm. and I know you're keeping an eye on things across Cork and and all sorts of areas Paul Uh, pretty good uh, opening yesterday of hospitality would you think yeah, judging by uh, talking to people, we're, we're uh, in the city centre now filming for news at 12.30 and uh, everybody um, seemed to enjoy what was happening yesterday. Uh, the weather isn't as good um, today as it was yesterday, but look, you know, people are out, they know what to expect. Uh, one woman, you know, they brought their hat, they brought their wellies, they brought their brollies, they're prepared, but there's just an appetite to get out 
sample the atmosphere, experience the dining that's to be done here in the city. And, um, you know, there's, there's a great crowd in the city, the centre, in the city centre again today. And, uh, and look, we must commend all of the publicans, the restaurant owners. They've had a, a nightmare from hell as they, the doors were closed. But thankfully, they're back in business, uh, outdoor dining for now, indoor dining from the 5th of July. And uh, I don't think we'll be back to normal, as it were. I was talking to Tom O'Connor in the South County Bar a couple of weeks ago for the news, and he said he doesn't envisage that we'll be four or five deep at a counter, um, uh-huh. you know, handing out points for, for the foreseeable future. A year, said, a year, a year and a half, perhaps. Certain. Yeah, you know, maybe a good thing he said that, you know, whining and dining is certainly going to take on a whole new experience from here, I think. Great, great prediction, Paul. Thanks a million, as always, for everything you do. Cheers. Paul Byrne, Virgin Media Thanks. News. That wraps up the Neil Prendeville Show for today. The programme is produced by Brenda Dennehy and very ably assisted by Mark Willington. I will talk to you tomorrow morning after news at 9 o'clock. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.